Hi, welcome to Back to Excited, episode 183. My name is Arvind. Joining me as always, my colleague from PensionPanPuppets.com. It's Acting the Fooliman. Hi, everybody. How are you doing, Fooliman? I am not too bad. How about yourself? I'm doing all right. Um, it's been busy, but, you know, we're in the middle of summer. I'm enjoying it. Uh, getting ready for the hockey season. <laughs> as one does at the height of summer. It was like a billion yes. degrees in Toronto yesterday. And so it was I pretty was... similar in Philadelphia, yeah. Yeah, like, when I go outside and the sun is beating down on me, I have to put sunscreen on or I'm going to burn in 25 minutes. Um, what I think is, what did the Anaheim Ducks do this, yes. <laughs> this offseason? And I'm sure, dear listeners, you were thinking the same thing. Yeah. And if that's the case, you are in luck, because today is uh, the first half of our annual um, Around the League review slash preview. Um, this is a pod we like doing in the after kind of the dust has mostly settled in the offseason to guide our opinions on other teams for the next eight months because we don't watch so much of other teams in comparison to the Leafs. Yeah, like there are teams that I would sort of be able to easily keep track of without making a stupendous effort. There are some teams that I would kind of miss. So doing this process where we go team by team around the whole league is good in terms of updating my opinions. Just because this is... (laughs) This is where I build the baseline that I have to refer to at the, throughout the season because I'm not going to pay a lot of attention to, say, the Anaheim Ducks uh, unless I have to. Yeah, it's easy for us to follow, you know, the Bruins, the Panthers, the the Habs, the Sens, right? Yeah. Big Eastern teams that we face relatively often or hear a lot from in the media. But yeah, I mean, we keep saying Anaheim, they're the first team that we'll talk about because they're first alphabetically, but they're also arguably the most forgettable team in the league. Yes, I always feel a little bad that we start with Anaheim because I'm like, we should sort of start with more power and instead we start with, oh yeah, they're still there. But you know what? We're slaves to the alphabet. So let's uh, get rolling on that. We're going to cover departures, which is players that we found significant that left, Uh, trades, signings and extensions, and then we'll say, where do we think this team is actually at now? So we're trying to cover basically stuff that this team did since the finals ended. Um, yep, and this is the first of two pods on this. This is going to be a long one. Just <laughs> buckle in now, you know, get comfortable. Take the dog for a long walk if you need to. Because mm-hmm. um, we're going to go from Anaheim to Montreal in pretty, in pretty, you know, high detail for each of these teams. So, yeah, without any further ado, uh, let's get into it. Let's start with the Anaheim Ducks. Right, so the Anaheim Ducks lost center Ryan Getzlaff to retirement as their first departure of the offseason. Getzlaff was in pretty stark decline by this point. He's been around forever. But he was still a remarkable playmaker. He had 34 assists in 56 games last year. That's not nothing. And he rated out very well by this new metric that Micah has about setting, which is supposed to try and measure the ability of players to set up their line mates with quality passes that lead to quality scoring chances. Um... Not a whole lot to say there other than, you know, he's had a probably not quite Hall of Fame career, but he's sort of... Oh, I I disagree. I think he's probably going to be a Hall of Famer. You think he's going to make the Hall of Fame? I mean, this is like just based on uh, vibes, but like, (laughs) yeah, I I think so. He's won won a cup. He's won a gold medal. Yeah. Um, He was an elite player for a long time. The longevity really helps. Like, I don't know. I I I I think he'll make it. He's Canadian, which helps. It does. The thing about Getzlaff is that I think that you have a hard time putting him as, like, the best player at any given time in his career, or even really 
that close. Like, he was very good for a long period, which can get that's, you in. But... That's fair, but, I mean, the same is true of, like, Matt Sundin. Right. right. Yeah. Um, yeah, maybe. Okay, I'm... I'm curious to see. That'll be a debate. Anyway, from mm-hmm. the Anaheim Ducks perspective right now, the point is he's gone. Um, also gone, we think, is Sonny Milano. Uh, mm-hmm. He's an unsigned UFA because Anaheim didn't qualify him. That doesn't mean they can't sign him again. Yeah. This one's a bit weird. Milano has good numbers in Anaheim. and I mean, I can't say I've watched a ton of Anaheim and paid special attention to Sonny Milano in the time that I have watched Anaheim. But, you know, <laughs> he's not that old. He seems at least decent. I feel like he would have non-zero trade value if nothing else, but evidently not. Yeah, I gotta tell you, I was a little bit perplexed that they chose not to qualify Sonny Milano. Because, so far as I can tell, his qualifying offer would have been a million eight, which is fine. He had 34 points last year. His isolates are great. You can say maybe teams don't care as much about the st- those stats as we do, but he was productive. Also, Anaheim has $18 million in cap space, as for cap friendly, uh, Mm -hmm. pushing 19. And so it's not like it's a huge deal for them to offer him this, but I guess they just said, no, screw this, we're done. Um, Yeah, and Milano is, as you said, still unsigned. It's, I mean, I honestly wouldn't mind him on the Leafs as like, just add him to the army of minimum contracts we have, see if he can compete for a spot. Yeah, like, if you threw him in that kind of whirlwind of players, I don't know, maybe there's something I'm missing here in terms of him not being that great. I'm not saying he's a world beater or anything. Maybe he just, like, smells really bad. (laughs) We have to be open to the possibility of just severe body odor. And that's that's why he's non-qualified. So, yeah, anyway, our best to Sonny Milano, who we hope doesn't stink. Um, (laughs) Both literally and figuratively. (laughs) He looks good to us. Somebody will sign him, I think. But this is—you would think so. Yeah, the Ducks did this a few times. Um, the next it, with Sam Steele, it's not a huge shock. Uh, he yeah, was, St- yeah, Steele was just didn't live up to the hype, right? Like, no. I, I remember I I was emotionally with Steele because he was in the WHO. I think around the same time that Adam Brooks was like laying waste to the WHO. They uh, they played and, together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, anyway, Steele never quite seemed to put it together at the NHL. I, I mean, I don't know where he goes from here, but certainly he's, he's running out the number of chances that come from being a high-ish draft pick. Um, Dominic Simon uh, and Zach Aston-Reese are both unsigned UFAs. They're good defensive forwards who came over from Pittsburgh in the Rickard Raquel trade. I guess there wasn't mutual interest in continuing the relationship, but again... Anaheim could have signed these guys. It's fine to say, look, I don't want to clog up our roster. I want to give chances to our young guys. I don't know. I mean, the... Uh... Yeah, and, and again, I I'm, I'm pro- I promise I'm not going to say this for every single team's cash offs. But, like, again, if I was Kyle Dubas and these guys were interested, I would throw them into the lottery of, of who, yeah. who is going to be the Leafs' fourth liner. Yeah, like, these are, these are guys who can play. And it's fine to have preferences as to these guys who can play because you know like they're they're bottom of the roster guys probably i i mean there have been some hints that zach aston reese and uh, uh, dominic simone yeah. had a great defensive year one time but yeah no aston reese in particular has had like some kind of some years where it's like you know he's he's an evolving wild selkie candidate <laughs> which uh, is the term i give to someone who is really good defensive isolates but we'll, like will never get a selkie vote <laughs> yeah it's it's it goes along with usually being a third liner on the Colorado Avalanche for some reason, but <laughs> it also can help if you're a depth player on the Pittsburgh Penguins. Anyway, 
Again, Anaheim wasn't interested. Anaheim did not make a trade, so that section's over quickly. They signed forward Frank Vetrano, who you might remember from the New York Rangers playoff run. He's a decent finisher. Shows is defensively competent. He's not very big, but he was productive in a little run with the Rangers after being dealt from Florida. His deal is probably in line with his market after a strong playoffs, which is distinct for I would want to be the one paying him. I don't think I would, but at the same time, Anaheim can afford this. So three times 3.65 million is not super exorbitant, I guess. Um, they signed Ryan Strom, which is weird to me. Like, Strom was the number two center on the market after Nazem Kadri, and who knows what's happening with Kadri at this point. Um, and he went to Anaheim for five years at five million. He's a top they, six. They coach. really like the Rangers, I guess. Yeah, like every now and then it's just like, did you just send all your scouts to one team or what happened here? But yeah, he's a, he's a top six caliber center. He's a better skater than Dylan, who is his brother. Um, he's been almost exclusively played with Artemi Panarin for three years now. I'm a little skeptical as to who was the straw strained the drink there. And by skeptical, I mean, obviously it was Panarin. It's just a question <laughs> of how much Ryan Strom was contributing. <laughs> I didn't phrase that well. It's like, yeah, the the superstar left wing is probably more important. Um, different models seem to like him a little differently. I'm real curious as to how he looks without um, Artemi Panarin to kind of carry the, the water for him. But, yeah. It is sort of an interesting signing just in the sense of, okay, I mean, he's 29. The Ducks were not good last year. Mm -mm. Um, I don't think they're going to be good this year. And, it's again, you know, I think people... People say, oh, they have 19 million in cap space as if it's a good thing. Like they have all this flexibility. But as Katya has said many times, you know, cap space is wins you're not paying for. Mm -hmm. Or it's like you're, it's wins you're leaving on the table. So if you're striving to be a playoff team and you have 19 million in cap space, well, I mean, sure, you can use that midseason or whatever. Um, but there's an availability issue at that point. And, you know, you're not like super serious about contending for the playoffs or contending for the cup, certainly. And I don't think Anaheim would, would think they are. So with that in mind, you know, a 29-year-old at $5 million, it's not it's not a terrible deal by any stretch. It, it's, in fact, it's solid right now, especially if you believe that he will retain most of his value sans Panarin. Mm -hmm. But by the time the Ducks are presumably contending for the playoffs, Strom is probably not going to be worth this contract. So like, the places where you extract value, I don't know how useful that is to the Ducks right now. Yeah, you do kind of wonder about timelines. I do get the argument, look, we have to start building an infrastructure around them. Yes, timing -wise I think that's that's, yeah. that's, oh, that's true. Like, you, you, you can't go from, like, okay, cool, like, snap your fingers. We're contending now, right? Mm -hmm. It's a process. And we'll see this with other teams that we go through. Yeah, exactly. You know, what you might do in, in the abstract is not necessarily what you do in the particular. Um, yeah. So this is just a, yeah. a, a sign. I feel like the first half of the alphabet in the NHL, just the way it is right now, is a bit more stacked towards, like, building up teams than contending teams. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that feels accurate. I, I With the exception of, like, Colorado yeah. and Edmonton, I suppose. Yeah, and Carolina. Okay, yeah, never mind. I'm just wrong. All right, well. <laughs> that's, 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 like, a quarter of the teams. <laughs> We're exploring together, and that's what this is about. We're learning. So. I, I think the teams that I, so we, we, a little inside baseball here. We split up these 16 teams into eight, uh, where Fulman does primary research on eight. I'll do primary research on eight. My eight teams, I think, were more tilted towards bad teams. Yeah, that's that's fair. Um, not Anaheim, though. <laughs> um, not no, a Anaheim is bad. Uh, they're not great. 
I'll say this for Ryan Strom. Evolving Hockey, who are very good at projecting contracts, actually had him at $7.2 million on a five-year. So the market is probably already baking in a bit of, we know Artemi Panarin was driving his results a little bit. It's mm-hmm. a question of how much. He'll probably be pretty good next year. He does make the team better in the short term, I think. And the Ducks kind of really needed someone to buff up their forward group, I think. So. Yeah, yeah. They had like a few a few good forwards, but it was mostly like Zegris and Troy Terry. And Troy Terry's next contract is also going to be pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah. Troy Terry kind of came out of nowhere to have a Titanic year. He's still got a year left at a million four five. And then now it's what's going to happen, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they made a bit of a weird late signing in free agency, which is defender John Klingberg at one year and seven million. Um, it feels like Klingberg probably outweighed his market a little bit. He signed 16 days into free agency and he wound up signing a one year. I guess no one was willing to give him the term that he was looking for because it sounds like he was looking for term. Um, the deal is definitely structured to open up a trade possibility. It has a full no trade clause until January 1st, and then a 10-team no trade after. If Klingberg really, really wanted to stay in Anaheim for some reason, he could probably pick the 10 teams carefully to obstruct a trade. But I think it's more likely that both parties were saying, okay, look, you'll come, you'll buff up your value. If you have a miracle season, and we do too, maybe you hang around. But more likely... We're going to be trading you in the first couple months of next year. We'll get a ransom on draft picks. You'll get to go play for a contender. And then you'll rehab your value and sign for more next summer. And it uh, should be noted that Anaheim already has kind of a treasure trove of draft pick. They have two additional second rounders next year, an additional third rounder next year, and then an additional second rounder the year after. So if they trade Klingberg as expected, and Klingberg has like good value, they, they might be able to get a first for him. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, it, they're probably going to use him on the power play, I would think. That's what he's particularly good at. Right. And it's it's like, I don't know, it's more important. I, coaches don't think this way, and they shouldn't. Yeah. But, like, you know, it's it's more important that you drive up the value of John Klingberg than you would, like, juice the stats of Cam Fowler or Kevin Shattenkirk or even Jamie Drysdale. I mean, Drysdale is an exception because you want him to develop. Mm-hmm. But, like, yeah. Yeah, that's something uh, just worth noting is that they have four guys who are plausibly first unit power play defensemen or should be or have been um fowler and shattenkirk have both done it in the past klingberg has obviously done it a ton drysdale hopefully will get to the point of doing it in the future uh so it might get a little bit crowded back there um i'm gonna reference we're gonna reference the dom lachitian's rankings of wins added and uh contract health that we talked about, uh, sorry, that he published recently, that talk about some of the same things that we're talking about. He looks at how much better than did this team get. And in the offseason, this team got better. More value came in than went out with Strom and Klingberg and Vetrano. The thing is, Anaheim is sort of in a churning rebuild. So last trade deadline, they traded Josh Manson to Colorado, Hampus Lindholm to Boston, Ricard Raquel to Pittsburgh. So even though they're better now than they were a month ago, they're very dubiously better than they were a year ago at this time. Um, they still have a decent number of defensemen. I just talked about the four guys who could contend for PP1. But I don't think that this team is actually very good, even though it's improved 
in terms of acquiring players. Like, it's easier to improve when you're already bad. And that's something that I'll, I'm going to bring up again with Detroit. But, right. I, I, and this is in, just in general true with um, this article that Dom wrote, which is a very good article. But, like, yeah. sort of by necessity in a cap league, the best teams will get a little bit worse and the worst teams will get a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Because the best teams typically have players that are outperforming their contracts. They become free agents. They leave for more money elsewhere. The worst teams often aren't spending to the cap. Mm-hmm. So then they decide to get better. Right? They just spend more and acquire wins that way. Yeah. So... Yeah, I mean that's how parity works, right? Like the if you're high, you get knocked down. If you're bad, you get brought up by the natural pressure of salaries and draft picks. Um, the Anaheim Ducks were bad, and I think they're being patient. Uh, they have a new-ish GM in Pat Verbeek, and I think that Verbeek looked at this roster and said, "I'm going to save most of my bullets, and by bullets, I mean my owner's money this season." Like, this team did not make any all-in maneuvers. The only meaningful bet, really, is Ryan Strom. And I guess they're willing to hope that he pans out in the longer term. So the main points of interest for this team are Trevor Zegras, Jamie Drysdale, and Mason McTavish. Um, They were top 10 picks in 2019, 2020, and 2021, respectively. And they're supposed to be the core of the next great Ducks team. Um, the next great Ducks team is going to be a while in coming, but it would be ideal for the franchise if those three took big strides and made it clear that this year, um, they're at least going to make it clear that you can build around them. And, and, you know, this team might hang around a playoff spot and, you know, stay competitive for a long stretch. I don't think they're ultimately a playoff team. Um, I would agree with that even in a weak division. Yeah. Um, this is something we're, we're spending too much time on Anaheim. This is how it always spends like 15 <laughs> minutes on the first team. And then by the, by the last team, it's like, they signed some guys, let's move on. <laughs> um, but if you're Anaheim, you have like, you know, a bajillion dollars in cap space. If Nasim Kadri hasn't signed, do you at least offer him like one year, 14 million or something? Yeah, the, like the Taylor Hall special. Yeah. Where it's like, and we'll, we'll promise we'll trade you to a contender. You can run for another cup, whatever it is. Come help us. And then, you know, you l- at least leave open the possibility even that, uh, you know, you go on a miracle run, which I know is probably bad for them in the long term in terms of management because it would sucker them into not taking assets for them. But, you know, it's the kind of thing that I think excites GMs and coaches and teams. It's like, okay, at least we're doing something. Mm-hmm. Um, one last note. The Ducks are heavily committed to John Gibson and Nett. Who has five years left at 6.4 million we've talked before about how he was once rated as a top three goalie in the world and he's kind of scuffled the last few seasons last year he rated out pretty badly um his backup is named anthony stellars who outplayed him handily in half as many games and he's a 28 year old journeyman on a one year so for a team that has kind of liquidated a lot of its long-term commitments lately like they do not have that much left on their cap sheet now or they have things that they're just going to wait out, like Henrik and Silverberg. Mm-hmm. Um, but Gibson is still uh, a big, bulky contract, and you wonder if at some point they get tired of waiting for him to return to form and seeing if they can realize some value now. Um, anyway, the Ducks could hang around. If Gibson gets a return to form, obviously all things are possible. But I think that they'll just sort of linger, flirt with the playoff spot, fade away, and then trade John Klingberg in February. 
and you that sounds about right yeah you won't think a lot about the anaheim ducks out east unless you see a trevor ziggers highlight okay all right let's move on to uh, to, to arizona oh yeah uh departures the arizona coyotes from their actual arena to a college rink i also wrote whatever credibility and dignity this franchise still possessed which was probably a bit mean but honestly they're a train wreck um (laughs) what can you say yeah they're they're pretty bad yeah uh phil kessel forever in our hearts is probably gone he's still unsigned so i guess they could bring him back if both parties felt like it he's 34 he's still a rush monster he still produces he had 52 points last year so he he hasn't missed a game in 15 years at this point which is kind of incredible in and of itself he still doesn't play defense for shit but he's phil kessel you don't sign him to play defense um the bigger question is why Arizona didn't trade him at the trade deadline. I still don't understand that. Phil did have a no trade clause with an 18 trade list. So if he wanted to lock a deal to a contender, he could have picked that list carefully. But I don't know. I I kind of would have thought they would want to, given that they were so obviously tanking. Anyway, he's off on his own. I think somebody will sign him if he wants to be signed. Like at some point, the money has to to work out to the point where you say, okay, he still had 52 points. Someone will say it, but yeah, I'm surprised it hasn't happened yet. Yeah, I, I, I am too, at least a, a little bit. I, I hard to see him just not being in the NHL this year. No. Um, so, I mean, I, I mentioned that Anaheim had a bunch of picks. Arizona has a bunch of picks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. By my count, per cap friendly, just eye spotting it, they have about like seven to eight picks more than the average team. Basically, a full draft more than another team over the next three years. Yeah, it's kind of staggering. Yeah, next year they have an extra third. Year after that, two extra seconds, three extra thirds. Year after that, three extra seconds. And that's a lot. And, you know, those are in the first half of the draft. So it's something. Um,. But you have to wonder how well they'll do at these picks now that they can no longer scan people's brains. <laughs> Without that kind of neural imaging, we, we just don't know that we can rely on them you, to make, you, you know? You just can't pick Barrett Hayton fifth overall without that sort of insight. <laughs> I like how we're just sort of flirting with like what the real problems are with the Coyotes while going through the departures. And we're just sort of hinting at it. Uh, but first, we'll finish the departures section. Louis Erickson, you may remember from a disastrous deal with Vancouver. He was traded to Arizona as salary ballast in the Oliver ekman Larson deal. He's 37. He's no longer very productive, and he's probably done, although he wasn't unplayable last year. So if someone wants to give him 900K, that's not the craziest thing. Um, Alex Galchenyuk, who you may remember from a brief cameo with the Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, might be regretting his choice to go to Arizona over Toronto at this point. Yeah, I, I don't fully... I mean, from... Obviously, there's many things besides, like, your playing career or whatever. Yeah. But, like, from a playing career perspective, I thought Toronto was, like, a good spot for him. Yeah, just purely from a cynical perspective, because he seemed to have the inside track on playing with Tavares and Nylander. Do we do we know that the Leafs wanted him back? Yes. Okay. They did. Um, yeah. That would make sense. You know. Now, granted, he could have lost that job. It's not like Alex Galchenyuk was that great, and the, the how the Leafs built Alex Galchenyuk meme was kind of over the top for a guy who got back to being not bad. In a fairly short sample. He also probably wouldn't have helped the defensive results of that Tavares-Nylander duo, which were, which were not great without him last year. Yeah. 
No, that wasn't really what he had to offer. Anyway, so he went to Arizona, and I guess you can say, hey, look, I would have had more playing time. And he put up 21 points in 60 games. But when you don't offer a lot defensively, and you kind of roam around the league, you need to produce at a level where it's hard to resist. And Galchenyuk didn't do that. Um, I think he might have run out his last chance in the NHL. You never know. Maybe he pops up in camp somewhere. But I'm not sure how many more chances he's going to get. He's cycled through a lot of teams in the last five years. Um, it is worth noting, he did play in Arizona before, in 1819. Maybe he just said, ah, I liked it there. Um, no place like home. It does actually seem like a pretty nice place to play in, in some respect. Like, if you don't, what? I don't know. If, like, if you're a marginal on each other, you go there, it's good weather. You can just golf all year round. No one gives a shit if the team sucks, which it does. Yeah. Right. Like, I, I, I can be convinced. It's warm. Yeah, it's low-key. It has its, its points. Um, Antoine Roussel and Jay Beagle, also bad contracts coming over from the Canucks. They're probably gone. Anton Strahlman, you may remember, used to be good. He's not really very good anymore. And again, he's an unsigned UFA. Arizona is a contract graveyard. Harry Sateri, uh, you may remember... Uh, signed with the Leafs last season, was claimed on waivers by Arizona, played very briefly for the Coyotes, was very bad, and has now gone back to Switzerland. Godspeed. Let's get to the trade section. Uh, they acquired forward Zach Cassian, who has two years at 3.2 million left. The 29th overall in 2022, a 2025 second, and a 2024 third from the Oilers in exchange for the 32nd overall pick in 2022 that was probably confusing so i will summarize they got to move up three spots in the draft and added a second and a third to take on zach cassian's bloated contract this is what arizona does they take salary junk and they get paid a pick for it we just talked about all those extra seconds and thirds they have this is where they come from mm -hmm. uh this is an entirely fine price for them to charge for that service so in evaluating this transaction it's good I mean, yeah, this is this is like this is the easy stuff, and they, I mean, they've done reasonable job with this. They did this with Shane Goss to spare last year. Mm -hmm. and they'll just keep on doing it forever, I guess. Um, the Cassian deal is the kind of mistake Edmonton needs to make less often if it's going to win a Stanley Cup. Just as an aside, uh, Cassian himself is a decent bottom six power forward who is thirty-one and who is manifestly not worth his contract. Uh, if he rebounds, he might be tradable for another pick in 2023-24. You never know, but I doubt there's a lot of value left there. Mm -hmm. uh, they got Patrick Nemeth, two years at $2.5 for the New York Rangers 2025 second, plus a choice of a 2024 third or a 2026 second in exchange for a long-shot defense prospect. Again, same thing. Nemeth is one of those big lower-pair defensemen with bad results. And sometimes teams overvalue them. So again, they might flip them later. Uh, signings, this will be quick. They signed forward Nick Bugstad for a year at 900k. I included him mostly because I wanted to fill out this section. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually don't really think we need to think talk about either of these signings. Yeah. Or like any of the signings. Like they, they, they acquired some carbon-based life forms who will play ice hockey. Yeah, okay. Probably not well by the by NHL standards. That's all you need to know. Yeah, I'm going to do this in 15 seconds. Nick Bukestad used to be good. He's slowed down somewhat. He's 30. He's had injuries. He's probably not much. If he re uh, recovers, they can flip him for a pick. They signed Josh Brown and Troy Stetcher, who are random third-pair defensemen who used to get overrated by Canadian fan bases. These deals are fine. 
Who cares? They drafted Logan Cooley, which matters orders of magnitude more than anything I talked about before now, to the point where I'm actually talking about a draft pick. <laughs> um, he's a great skater, high IQ, very versatile. He's supposed to have massive upside, which the Coyotes desperately, desperately need. Yeah, and we alluded to this before, but this is basically the problem with the Coyotes, is that they've had a bunch of high picks, and with few, with limited exceptions, and I say the exceptions are really Clayton Ketter and uh, Jacob Chikrin, mm-hmm. uh, they haven't really hit on any of them, and even, even Keller and Chikrin are good, not elite players. They have not drafted, really, a franchise cornerstone mm-hmm. at all. They, they haven't drafted a player close to as good as Mitch Marner. No. Or I, I would say, like, Clayton Keller, I don't know, this might be, like, these fans' home or something, but I think William Nienander is, like, pretty clear of him. I would say so. I mean, Keller right. goes up so. and down year to year, but I definitely think that Nylander's better. Um, I should say who they have outstanding, a uh, couple of RFAs. Lawson Krauss, um, he never lived... Speak, speaking of draft picks, <laughs> like, it's... Yeah, uh, Lawson Kroos was the subject of a very funny Damien Cox tweet the year of his draft that I'm never going to forget because it's burned into my brain, where he said, McDavid, Eichel, or Kroos, as if he were contemplating between three equally competitive options <laughs> to take high in the draft. Um, and, and, you know, to be fair, it's not like Kroos went even that high. I believe he went 11. 11. Yeah, so that's a little less crazy. Um Right, and like, I mean, you know, you can't expect a star out of 11 by any stretch. No, you, you get pretty lucky if they if they surge at that point. I should actually say he was he was originally picked by Florida, but he ended up coming yeah. to, uh, to Arizona. Anyway, last year he had 20 goals, which is not terrible. So he's kind of useful uh, in, in that respect. He's an RFA with arbitration rights. You kind of wonder what the negotiation is going on <laughs> to this extent, especially considering the Coyotes are under the cap floor. But whatever. Uh, Barrett Hayton, who we already referenced, is 22 with no arb rights. He looks like a bit of a dud high pick for a team that couldn't afford them. Yeah, he was an off-the-board pick, too. Like, mm-hmm. um, it was one of those guys where, from what I remember, people said, he's, like, for sure going to be a pretty good player. Has like, He had good defensive responsibility and IQ for, for a prospect. Um, kind of had that tag of, like, solid, dependable player mm-hmm. without, like, elite upside. And he, I think he had a, actually a pretty good draft plus one season. They don't think might, they might have been vindicated mm-hmm. in that in that pick, but just evidently hasn't developed the way they they want him to be. Yeah, like he'll get signed. He's an NHL player. Um, twenty four points last year. He's kind of hanging around, but in that draft, they kind of reached hoping for a top six center, and it didn't work out. And that's something of a disappointment. Um. You can guess where this is all going. Arizona hasn't really changed their strategy. They are no. closer to being a money laundering operation than anything else. <laughs> I mean, I, my I, I'm not like great at money laundering, but isn't the idea <laughs> that you have like dirty money and you like pretend that it's been made by like this clean business? <laughs> like, it's not like they're have profits elsewhere that they're siphoning through arizona it's just it's just a money sink more than a money laundry machine uh, yeah well i <laughs> in a financial sense you can do all sorts of stuff with debt that is beyond my comprehension but in the sense of they kind of just take terrible contracts and charge mm. a fee for them yeah that's what they do 
Um, the Coyotes have exactly one strategy, and it is to accumulate a core via draft picks that eventually becomes uh, undeniable, becomes very strong, um, the way that we've seen other teams have. And then, at least theoretically, you become an attractive free agent destination for uh, players who actually want to compete, as opposed to players who just kind of want to take a holiday in the sun. Um, they've been doing this a while. They don't seem to be particularly close. They've had setbacks both from losing their own draft picks through weird shenanigans and from bombing some of the draft picks that they did get or at least having disappointing outcomes out of the likes of Barrett Hayden um, or, you know, maybe Victor Soderstrom, depending on how optimistic you are. Well, even going back to 2015, Dylan yes, is, is like a one of the worst picks in um, in that stacked, like, top 10 of that draft and to be clear i don't really blame them for taking dylan strome i would have taken dylan strome through overall i think a lot of people would have he, he, he his his pre-draft career was bonkers yeah i i will say this i would not have taken strome through it overall i would have taken him by uh fifth but mm -hmm. yeah anyway uh, whatever happened would you have taken marner or hannafin i would have taken hannafin then marner then strome mm. So, shows you what I know, because I would have been smarter to take Marner or Hannafin. Anyway, uh, the Coyotes are in this position where it's just this same old churn. They are not seriously trying to spend or contend or really do much of anything but accumulate draft picks. At some point, you would think that unless they absolutely bomb every pick they ever get, they have to get a certain amount of talent out of these. Like that, you know, we talked about how the league kind of pushes teams towards the middle. When you're good, your players get expensive, they leave, you get worse. When you're bad, you get high draft picks, your players aren't expensive, you have cap space, you get better. The Coyotes have been stuck at the bottom of that hill for a goddamn long time. And they really only have one way of getting past it, which is just churn. Now they're talking about trading Jacob Chikrin, or at least they've been rumored to do it, and they want a ransom for him as well they should get. But it's like, you're trading a 24-year-old, I would say, top pair caliber defenseman. And he's like two years or three years three left years on his deal. Three years left at 4.6 yeah. million. It's like, Which is like an incredibly good value deal. Yeah. Like, and again, like if you can do it and you get a huge ransom for him, okay. But it's like, at some point, you have to question, what are you doing? I, but I, I sort of, because it's like, okay, you have this huge value deal. You're going to suck for at least two years of that. Yeah. Right? So, like, what you effectively have is a player who, who like, you don't care. Arizona actively doesn't care about the next two years. No. Right? But, yeah, I mean, when they decide to start building up, we've seen this with Buffalo. It's pretty hard to build up from absolute, from ground zero. I guess I'm just, um, like, because we've done this so many times now. Like, this is our four or fifth year doing this survey pod, right? Arizona mm -hmm. has been in the same spot every year. No, it, it's true. <laughs> it's like... Anyway, like, but I get what you're saying. It's like, okay, maybe you have to keep an eye on the long term. But it's like, at some point, maybe you should try and build a player. Maybe you should think, hey, let's be a team that Jacob Chikrin will want to sign an extension with in two to three years. Uh, again, I know that that's easier said than done. And you can say the smart thing to do is trade him at peak of his value. Trade him at peak of his value. They've kind of done that forever in this ridiculous world 
of draft picks and bad contracts in and out, in and out. And they're right now the worst team in the NHL. Again, I don't know. Like, I just, there's something offensive to me about how this team never does anything. Um, anyway, that's my little spiel. They're tanking this year. They tanked last year. If they don't get Connor Bedard, and even if they do, they'll probably tank next year. Like, it just, they're going to spend the bare minimum and they will lose as many games as any other team in the NHL, probably. So, whatever. Zombie franchise. Uh, the Boston right. Bruins. On, yeah. On to Boston. Uh, we are currently on pace for a four-hour podcast, just to... <laughs> <laughs> New record. Yeah. Right. Okay. I'll try and tighten it up a little bit. Boston has one really big question hanging over them, and it is under the departure section where I wrote Patrice Bergeron question mark. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've said enough about Bergeron. You all know him and kind of resent him. He's the best defensive forward in the history of the sport. And I say that without exception. He's still really good at age 37. And he's uncertain as to whether he wants to retire. His decision to stay or go matters orders of magnitude more than anything else for Boston right now. Yes, with him they are a contender. Without him they are not, more or less. It boils down to that. Yes. Um, and really so much is predicated on that that you can see that they've been almost in suspended animation waiting for his decision to be made. If he comes back, then they say, okay, we are a contender in the Atlantic Division. We're at least a fringe contender. We start positioning ourselves to get assets for this year. There's been some rumor they'll ask David Krejci to come back from overseas. Krejci is also quite up there and played the last season uh, in Eastern Europe. But he was once a quite good second-line center, which is what Boston really needs. That's been like the hole that has played their team for a while. Yeah, the second line center thing in Boston is just their constant source of agony. And they can't seem to to find any way to solve the problem. Really, it's been kind of a bleeding wound since Krejci left or declined, and they, they haven't recovered. Um, if Bergeron retires, there's no longer a whole lot of point in bringing back David Krejci. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I mean, I guess you can do it for sentimental reasons, but you're no longer a contender. And you have to start asking some tough questions about, do we trade uh, David Pasternak or do we extend him? Which is kind of painful. Pasternak is going into the last year of his deal at $6.66 million and then he's going to be unrestricted. Um, do you trade Brad Marchand when he's healthy? Uh, Marchand is 34, but still very good. He's injured right now, and we'll miss probably the first month or two of the season. He's got three years left at 6.125. Um, this is kind of the whole thing. Is is Bergeron going to come back? So It changes, yeah, yeah it changes what happens with them so much. Mm-hmm. Because it, it, yeah, like it's, they're at a really interesting like pivot point. Mm-hmm. If Bergeron doesn't come back. And it also it also makes some of... If Bergeron doesn't come back, presumably they're still going to try and contend. I, I I don't think they trade Marchand. I definitely don't think they trade Pasternak. Mm-hmm. Or anything like that. Um, like, just last last uh, season, they, they traded for and re-signed Campus Lindholm for, like, a long time. Yep. At age 28, which presumably you don't do if you think, oh, there's a reasonable chance we might pivot. Yeah. Right? That's true. And yet at the same time, I look at this team and I'm like, 
It's not a contender without Bergeron, that's for sure. No, it's not. With center, it's already kind of a weak point. He was holding the whole thing together. So mm-hmm. I don't know what the backup plan is there. Anyway, right. uh, it's something to think about. Uh, a couple of other things that they did. Eric Holla to the Devils. I'll talk about that under trades. Uh, Curtis Lazar left for three years and a million with the Vancouver Canucks. He's a decent depth center, but who cares? Uh, on a temporary basis, they're going to be without Charlie McAvoy and Brad Marchand for at least the first couple months of the season. And Matt Grizzlick is also likely to miss time. That's another kind of clouding factor. Because again, if you don't have Bergeron yes. back, you can be in the hole real quick. And the Atlantic is now good enough that a team like Ottawa could reasonably say, yeah, we're like, you know, we might not be better than fully healthy Boston over 82 games, but if Boston's only healthy for 62 games already, guaranteed, mm-hmm. well, that changes things. Yeah, like, they could be in some pretty uncomfortable situations. And then again, if you're in January and you're, I don't know, clinging to a playoff spot or five points out, again, the Pasternak question starts coming up in your head, I think. Um, which is... It's just, but like, what's the... I don't know, that that, that commits to, like, a hard rebuild. Pasternak is, like, super good, and he, he's he's prime age now. Yeah. Right? But it's like you're you're probably not going to acquire a forward as good as David Pasternak for like quite some time. No, you almost certainly are not. But if Pasternak says I'm going to market, yeah, then you probably have to ask the question. Um, mm-hmm. Trades. This bears on the second line center issue. They made exactly one trade. Uh, Eric Halla, one year at two point three seven five million to the New Jersey Devils for Pavel Zaka. You know we talked about Dylan Strome being a rare semi bust in that stack top ten. Pavel Zaka's the other bust. <laughs> yeah, and, and Zaka's like a more, definitely bustier than yeah. uh, Dylan Strom. Yeah. Um, he's not like a terrible player by any means. He's just not as good as you would think because the 2015 top 10 was insane. Uh, yes. He gets about 30 to 36 points a year. Would be at a 40 pace if he stayed healthy. Um, he's kind of a big power forward type. He might threaten 20 goals in a good year, and he seems like more of a winger than a center in the NHL, but the Bruins need centers, so that might be where they play him. Anyway, Eric Hollow was just considered kind of a disappointment. I thought he was actually not that bad. It's like a speedy playmaker for them, but he didn't solve the second-line center issue. Right, and like the other answer to that is Charlie Coyle, who has declined and his contract doesn't look very good anymore. No, it doesn't. The, the Bruins dined out for a very long time on the fact that they were p- playing, they were paying Bergeron, Marchand, Pasternak obscenely below market value. And that's kind of coming to an end with Bergeron. A little bit. Yeah. Like this, is, this is sort of the last year. I mean, presumably if Bergeron doesn't retire this year, he'll retire next year. If Bergeron signs a contract this year, it'll be cheap. Yeah. And he'll be like, he'll be a very good contract for this year. Um, and of course, Charlie McAvoy is a great contract for the next eight years. Yeah. Right, which is like frustrating. But yes, this is sort of coming to an end to some extent. Mm-hmm. Uh, once Bergeron is gone, Pashnak is expiring this year, and maybe he will sign another kind of sweetheart deal to stay with the Bruins. Maybe not. And Marchand is still on a very good deal for the next three years, but then, you know, it loses a lot of its value if. Bergeron isn't there and it loses a lot of value if Pasternak isn't there because it's like okay we have this great deal for this one guy and him alone is not going to bring us to contention just because no hockey player alone can bring a team to contention right and and then Marchez that exposes too. like at yes. some, you know this isn't going to last forever yeah 
And then it exposes some of the mistakes they've made, right? Like Nick Foligno, not a huge mistake because it's only a year left, but not a great deal. Hampton Lindholm, not a great deal. Although Lindholm, Lindholm with McAvoy is good, yeah. right? Um, and they play well, and I imagine they will be well, be good together for at least the next couple years. I, th- I think that was their plan, right? And so they've locked in their top pair at $16 million, which is yeah, not... Yeah, which is fine. You know, not, not the end of the world. Um, well, it, I mean, it's a top pair that also gets phenomenal results, but... You know, I don't want the back end of that Hampus Lindholm contract. And so I think Boston is, is going to spend a couple years rebuilding soon. And it's like, if Bergeron can, can push that back a little bit, but not forever. Yeah. Uh, in terms of signings, basically zero players that we're going to bother talking about. They did sign Jim Montgomery as head coach. I thought Bruce Cassidy did a fine job in Boston, but I guess they figured... They had to fix it. Like they were the best defensive well, I mean, team in the NHL. So like, enough enough playoff failures will yeah. uh, for, force a team to eventually change their management. He says, "Almond." <laughs> Long pause. <laughs> look at the camera. Back to the Bruins. Um, yeah. So uh, and then they have to give Z- Zaka an RFA contract. I anticipate that they will succeed in working that out. Zaka has arbitration rights, so eventually that'll get worked out if he filed. Um, As a side note yeah. on, on Montgomery, sorry. I mean, I, I know Boston fans have perennially just been annoyed at like, oh, their offensive system stifles creativity. Let's hire the Dallas guy. <laughs> you know what's going to fix everything for us? Uh, <laughs> the, remember, you know what? Dallas used to be high-flying yeah, offense no, for like I, two years, like eight years ago. I don't, remember, I don't remember if Montgomery was their coach at that time. I, no, I don't think so. Anyway... As we've said, look, this the real question here is Patrice Bergeron, and if they get Bergeron back, maybe bring Krejci back and see if he has anything left in the tank. They can still contend. They'll still be a top eight team, probably in the East, even though the injuries sting a bit. If Bergeron doesn't come back, this team is not guaranteed to make the playoffs, and they have it's to, a bubble team. Yeah, it's a yeah. bubble team. Um, they still have very good defense, good defensive forwards. So you would expect them to do well, even though Bergeron, again, was a big part of that. Um, I'm kind of curious to see how the whole thing works without Bergeron. Because he looked like he was carrying them to a large extent for a long time. Um, Anyway, that's what it comes down to. They still have Taylor Hall, by the way, who you might have forgotten was there. No longer in Hart Trophy form, but a good player. This team is definitely... It's a question of can Bergeron turn back the hands of time once more, or does he choose to? That's it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Buffalo Sabres. Departures. Forward Cody Eakin. I remember this because Sabres Kevin absolutely hates Cody Eakin. Probably more than any player in the NHL, it seems like. Uh, and statistically, Sabres Kevin has a case. He looked like one. Eakin looked like one of the worst players in the NHL. He had a big finishing year for Vegas in 18-19, and that appears to be done. Eakin is probably finished. Colin Miller, king of the defensemen who do well when little is asked of them. Two years at $1.85 million, gone to Dallas. Robert Hagen, Will Butcher are gone. Will Butcher, you might remember, as a guy who scored 44 points in a season once as a defenseman. That's wild. He's like a decent third-pair guy. Year at seven hundred and fifty k to Dallas. Trades. They got Ben Bishop who has a year left at $4.9 million and a seventh for future considerations. I kind of would have expected the Sabres to charge more to take on this contract. Um, it's going to be LTIR'd, or it can be, if the Sabres have to, because Bishop's never going to play again. But 
feels like they could have done more there. Um, signings, they extended winger Victor Olofsson. He's uh, an all-around offensive winger with lousy defense. The price is a little spicy to me at two years at $4.75 million, But it's in line with projections. And, I mean, this is going to be a theme with Buffalo, but it's like they have cap space for ages and... Or, you know, as, as long as he's a short-term deal, it kind of doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. It's not like they're signing guys into a million years into the future at this point. Um, so that leads into our next one. They give Ilya Lyabushkin two years at $2.75 million, And this is kind of the difference in team position. Uh, if the Leafs signed this deal, we would be saying, okay, that's way too much for a guy who's probably like a sixth defenseman in caliber. In Buffalo, it's, yeah, I guess that's too much in the abstract, but who cares? So, yeah, he'll be a decent physical right defenseman for them. Um, they signed Eric Comrie, who I kind of wanted to use one of our goalie bets on. Two years at $1.8 million. He was a good backup last year. They extended Craig Anderson a year at $1.5 million with performance bonuses. Craig Anderson is the one you're thinking of. He's 41 years old. <laughs> He's a goaltender. He's been around forever. Last year he was bad, but everyone likes him. And the Sabres don't really care that much about winning. So that was an efficient survey of their transactions. Um, they aren't tanking like Arizona is, but they're not straining themselves to improve. They're waiting on... They're like, res- yeah. they're like respectable bad. Yeah, exactly. Like, the big thing next year is the full rookie seasons of Jack Quinn and Owen Power. They suck, but they do it with honor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, this is kind of the, okay, we're starting to put some pieces on the ice um we're hoping for big strides out of dylan cousins peyton krebs maybe even rasmus dalin who is still only 22 for the record like he's still at the point where he could easily take a big stride um yeah like all of this is kind of fine i feel like the sabers are insofar as they can ever really be happy um, <laughs> the sabers fans seem sort of contented you know there's a bit of hope again they have some nice young pieces if everything goes their way and Comrie really hits it out of the parking net. Maybe they hang around the playoff race, but I doubt it. Um, one little subplot. Tage Thompson is just fascinating to me. He's fucking huge. Six and a half feet tall. He came over from St. Louis in the Ryan O'Reilly trade that was a total disaster for Buffalo. And everyone was like, well, I guess this is just kind of a lineup. Um, and all of a sudden, last year at age 24, he exploded and turned into a first line center. And it came pretty much entirely out of nowhere. Like, I don't think Tage Thompson's own mother would have expected this of him. This is a guy whose career high in points in the NHL was 14. Suddenly he went off for 38 goals and 30 assists. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of it was shooting. Yeah. He had an obscene finishing year. He's like a big guy. He can force his way to the front of the net, but he finished above the quality of the chances it, he got. So It is worth noting that I remember when he was in the draft, like people were people were dreaming on him because he was a big guy who had, at least in theory, a good shot. So it's not like completely... I mean, like if, if David Kampf has this year, we're like, okay, that's clearly not happening. But there, there, it's at least possible that Thompson has legit finishing skill. Right. And so now they just have to deal with the question of, okay, what do we want to pay him? He's got a year left right now at $1.4 million and then he's RFA. If he if he repeats this year, he's going to get paid a stupid amount of money. Um, but he might, like, like he might be stupid in terms of a lot, yeah, a but lot, like, yeah, yeah, not necessarily a bad contract. Yeah, I, I should clarify, because he'll be 25, so it, it can be a, a bulky contract and still worth it. Um, 
that's something that that I find kind of interesting to keep an eye on. Beyond that, this is a bide time season. It is. Um, they have a couple UFAs who might be of some interest to teams uh, around the deadline. Mm-hmm. Um, Lawrence Pilot. I'm overstating. He might not really be of interest. He might he might go for like a, a late pick. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vinny Hinestroza is probably more interesting in that regard. Mm-hmm. Good, um, just good depth forward contenders would have a use for him. Can play both wings. I, I, the Leafs. I think he he. I don't remember off the top of my head. I'm not gonna stop on hockey reference now. But I think he couldn't take some face offs. I, uh, I yeah. mean, he's a, just a versatile depth forward, basically. Yeah. Um, I, I wanted the Leafs to take a look at, look at him a few years ago. Yeah. One other thing. Kyle Poso signed a huge-ass contract. It, it was in that era where a lot of these mid-tier guys got like five, six million, and they all turned into be dud contracts. Most of them were John Tavares' line, right? Yeah. <laughs> Happened weirdly a lot. That said, even though he's 34, he had 45 points last year, 21 goals. At six million, he's expiring. If they retain half on him, which they can easily yeah. do, maybe you get something for him. No, that that's also true. Yeah. Anyway... Uh, I think Buffalo is kind of like they're going to twiddle their thumbs a bit and hope for a lot of the prospects, and that's fine. I think 2023-24 is when they're going to think, okay, now we have to at least come close to a playoff spot. Um, the Calgary Flames. Oh, boy. This, one, this one's going to be a long Yeah, one. <laughs> this, this is the big daddy. Departures. Winger Johnny Gaudreau to Columbus. Shocking the hockey world. Seven years at 9.75. Um, okay. Gaudreau is a superstar, obviously, mm-hmm. at least offensively. He's coming off the best year of his career. He had 115 points, and um, I-, I ran the numbers on this, and it's a lot. Uh, he was fourth in Hart Trophy voting for 2022. Uh, Calgary offered him a bigger deal than Columbus did. He said, no thanks. Later. Um, he's not really replaceable. You just can't do it. The Flames... Might have come as close as he possibly could to mm-hmm. replacing him one for one, as we'll talk about. But they lost arguably their best player for nothing. And the guy who caused arguably to be in that sentence also is gone. And it was Matthew Kajuk who was traded to Florida. And we'll talk about that in the trade section. Before we get there, I'm going to clear out some uh, couple of other things. Brett Ritchie used to score a bit, doesn't score anymore. He's probably out of the NHL. Eric Goodbranson went to Columbus, where he got four years at $4 million because, I don't know, why the fuck not? Uh, he's a buddy of Johnny Gaudreau's. Maybe he was almost like an anchor for that contract, I guess. Uh, in terms of his actual value, uh, Calgary is probably better off with him gone. <laughs> um, certainly than tr- signing that contract. So let's get to the big trade. Yes. After Johnny Gaudreau left... Matthew Kachuk also said, look, I'm not going to sign an extension. And he was an RFA. Mm-hmm. He could have taken a one year out of ARB and then walked to unrestricted free agency. So Florida was in the position of saying, okay, either we hang around with him, even though we're probably a bit worse, and then we lose him in free agency like we just lost Gaudreau, or we trade him now. And their next choice, because let's be honest, they had to trade him in this circumstance, was... Trade him for a futures package or a present package to try and stay contending. And they mostly chose the latter. They signed at eight years at $9.5 million and then immediately traded Matthew Kachuk and a 2025 fourth to the Florida Panthers for winger Jonathan Huberdeau. 
one year at 5.9 million. Defender Mackenzie Wegar, one year at 3.25 million. Prospect Cole Schwint, who is a B prospect, and a lottery protected 2025 first. If the first slides to 2026, so does the fourth, just as interest. The Flames extended Huberdeau, um, eight years at 10.5 million. I wrote 10 years at 8.5 million. Clearly, I was tired when I did this. <laughs> um, the extension begins a year from now because Huberdeau still got a, a year left on his 5.9. Yes. Woo! This is the biggest trade in some time. Yeah, since Subban for Weber, isn't it? I'd say so. Yeah, like th- this is a huge thing. So, Kachuk was going. It, mm-hmm. it, like, it seems clear. And so, the only way you can really judge Calgary for him going is if they did something to make him want to leave. Maybe he just wanted to live in the States. That's kind of what it sounded like, so who knows. Uh, he's one of the best players in the NHL. All-around past provocateur. Really, really good at both ends of the ice. Alongside Gaudreau, he exploded for 104 points last season. Kachuk is like if Brad Marchand was 6'2", basically. He is a yeah. shit weasel, in the words of Saldo, but shit, man. He's yeah, I, I, <laughs> I'm, I'm not happy that we're going to have to face him more often. We are going to hate him. Yeah. Uh, we, we, we get a very large dose of the Kachuks, which I'm not, like, not super jazzed about. No, it's not great. It's not fun. Um... Anyway, he's gone to Florida now. Um, Jonathan Huberdeau is also probably a top five winger on the planet, at least offensively. Does Alan Walsh have a a gun pointed at you (laughs) off camera? It would probably be a sword to judge by his previous choice of weapons. Um, (laughs) Yeah, he had 115 points last year, too. It's kind of crazy that these players are, are moving around. He's a great playmaker. Almost off the charts of that setting stat we talked about from Mecca McCurdy. Yes. One of the best passers in the world. Like, absurd. Like, with no qualification. Top, top shelf playmaker. Um, Very deadly on the rush. Doesn't do a lot defensively. And so, you accept he's going to cheat for offense, and he's going to benefit you on net. And it is very much, like, cheating for offense. Like, he, he is... He, he makes calculated decisions. Mm-hmm. And because he's so good offensively, they, you know, works out on net. But he does, you do lose some value there. Right. Like, we talked about this in the context of the Hart Trophy uh, race, which Huberto was on the edge of and which Austin Matthews eventually won. We say, it's not that Huberto's defensive drawbacks make him anything but a great player. It's just to be the very, very, very best players. You do want a bit of a more rounded game. Or at least that's a drawback compared to the top centers you you build around or the top wingers. And the Flames are paying him full freight through his 30s. Um, You can almost call Huberdeau for Gaudreau a wash, give or take. Gaudreau's isolates look a little bit better. Mm -hmm. At least for this next season. Yeah. Um, My suspicion is Huberdeau is not that much less invested defensively than Gaudreau is. I don't think Gaudreau is a great defensive player either, but he was in a better situation. That's my opinion. (laughs) Anyway, they also got Mackenzie Wieger, who is a player who has risen from underrated to at least heard of, I would say. Great all-around defenseman. He did well both supporting Aaron Ekblad in Florida and then stepping up when Ekblad was absent, which happened often Mm -hmm. enough. He's probably like a 2-3 defender, and Calgary now has a very deep, balanced defense group. Like, it doesn't have a clear number one guy at this point, the way Giordano used to be, but it's, like, a lot of very good guys. Yeah, it's it's a... I mean, off the top of my head, it seems like the best defense core in the league. 
certainly among the most balanced, right? Like like Anderson, Weger, Hannafin, Tanev like recovered a lot of yeah. his 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 peak surprisingly. Valamaki. Yeah. Zadorov isn't like amazing, but he's good. And, you know, he wants some guy to crush some people, take some penalties. And Daryl Sutter does. Yeah. Uh, and they've still got Shillington, who's like who's okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. The big issue here is um, kind of the term risk. Um, with Wegar, there's some risk that he leaves in a year. With Huberdeau, the risk is that the latter half of that contract isn't super great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I actually think the Flames sort of managed the next season relatively well. I, yeah. they, they, they did lose value just because, you know, like Uyghur and... Uyghur's, like, not quite as good as Kachuk, basically. Yeah. Like, if, if you say Huberto is about as good as Goudreau, well, Uyghur's not quite as valuable as Kachuk, as good as Uyghur is. And that says more about how good Kachuk is than anything about Uyghur. Yeah. I, I... Right? But, yeah, the the issue is, like, well, if you sign in a hypothetical world, which didn't appear as if it was possible, in a hypothetical world where you sign Goudreau and keep Kachuk long-term, you're just in a better position long-term because those guys are, are younger and better and controlled, and you are probably happy. Yeah. This whole situation with Calgary adds up to two things for me. If you accept two premises, they're good. Like, they, they did the best that they could out of the situation. One is that Gaudreau and Kachuk wanting to leave is not their fault. And so many things can go into that, I don't know. They're both American. They may not have wanted to play in Canada. That's the rumor. That's their prerogative. I suggested on Twitter that Daryl Sutter also might kind of pall on people after a while he's a good coach he ain't exactly warm and fuzzy and he's pissed off people before a lot of pushback from calgary flames fans when i said that so maybe i'm just whistling dixie or maybe i'm remembering mike babcock could be any number of things anyway if they just said like look we want to get out of town as soon as we can and go somewhere else then that's not something calgary can help and then calgary made a decision are we going to try and be futures-oriented in the Kachuk trade, and they could have gotten a ransom of futures, I am confident. Um, Kachuk did not have any kind of trade protection because of his age, so they could have dealt him to anyone, conceivably. But presumably a team that yeah. wants Kachuk would also want to extend him, so they'd have to be at least a little... Like, he'd have, yeah. it'd have to be a place he's a little amenable to going, otherwise the team wouldn't... Yeah. Um, wouldn't really want to do it. Although I'm sure no discussions between Kachuk and other teams took place... That were not explicitly allowed by the NHL CBA. Oh, naturally. Um, yeah, and you'll you'll notice Florida insisted on having the signing made beforehand, which was probably shrewd of them. Because if you trade for Kachuk in these circumstances, you burn your bargaining leverage. Like, you've made it very clear that you really want him, and you're going to pay up rather than let him walk. That was the same situation the Flames got in with Huberdeau. And since we're focusing on the, the Flames here... They ended up paying Huberto probably about as much as he could be worth. Still, though, they came out of this mess with about as much present talent as they could have hoped. You were going to lose talent on this deal because it's very hard to win giving up Gaudreau and Kachuk. It's just too much talent walking out the door. Um, so that said, they came out of this still good, but a little bit worse. Mm-hmm. And they were very a good enough team last year that a little bit worse in a weak division still probably means they're a playoff team. Yes, I would say so. Um, the yeah. the tricky thing is like they have, I guess 
we haven't oh sorry we haven't mentioned some of the other yeah. signings so we kind of skipped ahead to outlook and there's a big one in andrew mangiapane yeah I'll, I'll go through the extensions quickly andrew mangiapane is the big one three years at 5.8 million averting an arb hearing he's a really solid all-around forward who's coming off a bonkers shooting year i'd be surprised if he hits 35 goals again but he's quite good despite that the deal is maybe a little bit spicy if you don't think that the shooting is going to sustain itself Oh, really? I, 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 I think it's just a really good deal. You think so? You're content with it? Yeah. No, I, I think Manji Pane is great. I think, I, he, I, I think he's like, a very good player. Yeah. Okay. Well. I, I, th- I think it's really unlikely he fails to live up to that. And and if I were them, I'd like, I'm sure Manji Pane wouldn't have wanted this. Because he, he might say, hey, I, if I put up another couple years of 30 goals, yeah. I'm going to get more than this. But I would have gone long. Or tried to go long if I was Calgary. Yeah. Um. Fair enough. So evolving hockey projected 5.8 is what he would get on a five-year. And he would have gotten a little less on a three. However... He's a good player, and he scored. They're better with him back than they are with him going, for sure. Um, they extended Nikita Zadorov two years at $3.75 million. He's big. He's defensively competent. He takes way too many fucking penalties. He would drive me nuts. But He yeah. absolutely crushes guys, though. He is, like, a, he, he is super physical. He is a tank. He will hurt you. Um, they signed Kevin uh, depth forward Kevin Rooney, depth forward of dubious utility, and they signed the extended defender Oliver Shillington who you may remember from the oh shit Boston could get tweet uh, much remembered. Uh, he looks like kind of a middling defender at this point. He's mobile with some talent, but he's like a four or five, which is fine. Um, this all adds up to a kind of a tough picture for the flames and they got worse. I think undeniably just because as you say, Kachuk out, is not something that you can really address, even if you say Huberto for Gaudreau is a loss. They'll, they'll still be competitive, and the Pacific is not strong. Um, but I think they're going to really re- lament that uh, Jacob Markstrom's goaltending fell apart in, in a series against the Edmonton Oilers, because they should have been the second-best team in the West last year, from my estimation, and I don't think they'll be as good anymore. And... Mm. And, you know, longer term, there are going to be issues. Like, the Kachuk choice was take a step back now, but maybe seed yourself with assets down the line. And they chose the other door. And they, once they chose that path, I think they did as well as they possibly could have, but it has consequences. Right. And they also have some contracts. I mean, well, actually, it's just one contract. The Blake Coleman deal was like very much a we are trying to win in the next few years deal. Mm-hmm. And now they've taken a step back, so that deal looks worse, right? Because you're not getting as much utility out of the first few years when Blake Coleman is still Blake Coleman. Mm-hmm. Um, they will. They do have some nice expirings this year. Monaghan and Lucic will like free up cap room, give them some opportunities to acquire people, acquire big salaries either in trade or um, in free agency. Although I guess the Hubert contract is going to eat up a lot of that, and so would a possible extension for Weger. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you know, I... it's yeah, not an easy decision for them to make. I might have preferred if they go the other route, if they went more futures focused. But I also recognize that, like, I say that sort of from the point of view of a Leafs fan, where a Leafs fan doesn't have to worry about, like, hey, like, it, it's just more fun to watch a good team yeah. than a shitty team, right? And then the Leafs don't have to worry about money ever. Mm-hmm. And other markets, even other Canadian markets, do. Yeah. And, and that's a reality. I think the Flames looked at this and they said, look, we have to keep contending. Or we have to keep competing at least, you know, contending in terms of, are they still in the best five, six teams in the NHL? I don't know anymore. I, I'm a little bit skeptical. It's not out of the question, 
they will be defensively strong. They'll be tough to play against. If Markstrom holds up, they'll have good goaltending. So who knows? But uh, tough offseason for the Flames that they kind of did what they could with. Um, still good. Carolina. Carolina is always busy. we got to give them that. They had some departures. Nito Niederreiter, beloved uh, on this podcast and in the stats world generally, he signed with Nashville two years at 4.5 at 4 million flat. So he's gone. He's a big forward who drives point blank offense and finishes well at even strength. Doesn't have great offensive numbers in terms of raw counting, but that's more of a power play issue. It seems like he was on Carolina's second unit. I think Carolina's going to miss him. Uh, Vincent Trocek signed with the Rangers seven years at 5.65. And I think Carolina will miss him too. Big, highly competent two-way center. He had a huge season with Florida in 17-18 that he's never going to do it again, probably. But Carolina now has a bit of a question mark at 2C, where the answer is apparently just for, just very Kotkaniemi. Um, Max Domi signed with Chicago, year at $3 million. He was a deadline rental, so whatever. Competent playmaking winger who gives a lot back on defense and takes too many penalties. Tony D'Angelo. Uh, traded to Philadelphia, discussed later. Uh, Ian Cole uh, signed with Tampa, Tampa Bay. You're at $3 million. He is a decent defensive defender who had the worst penalty differential in the NHL last season. Which is a weird theme with Carolina. They get killed on penalties. Um, I don't know if like part of their defensive strategy is just we're going to play really physical and play really defensive and we'll accept these penalties as the price of doing business. But they really get a lot of them. Mm, and it hurt them in the playoffs. It did, yeah. Like, you know, that strategy has a price. Um, they've, they've said that, you know, Kane's fans believe they don't get a fair whistle because Rod Brindamore complained about the refereeing at one point. I mean, na- na- name a team that's like, oh, you know, I think the refs actually handle this pretty fairly. <laughs> I think the refs love us, man. I think they're great. Yeah. Um, I'm sure the refs are do. So, this is a side note. I know we talk about this all the time. But, like, one of the reasons that, like, I find people complaining about refs annoying and saying like refs are bad. Yeah. Or, um, it's like, it's not like the NHL has the secret cabal of like actually amazing, perfect refs <laughs> that they're just keeping from us. It's like, oh, let's just fuck these guys over. It's just, no, like refs, refing is hard. Yeah. <laughs> refing is a difficult thing to do. And it, it's like, I, I'm not here to like to defend the honor of NHL refs. We're like dumbasses a lot of the time. Yeah. All right. But like, I, there's no like secret stash of good refs and bad refs, and the NHL is just picking from the bad refs. They're trying to get the best best refs they can. Yeah, absolutely. And I would wager that NHL refs, by virtue of the NHL being the biggest league and being able to pay refs the most, probably has the best refs in the in in the world. I, I would guess, like, where else are they going? You, you yeah. know, the, the KHL? I don't know. Um, the thing about complaining about refereeing is that it's like complaining about the rain. It's like, yeah, maybe if you had a big day at the beach planned and you get rained out by a thunderstorm, that really sticks in your memory and you're like, ah, it's fucking weather. But it's the weather. It's kind of going to be there. You just got to live with it. And so I accept refereeing is basically a fact of life and I try not to get mad at it except when it rains on my day at the beach, which is um, the series against Boston in 2019. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway... Uh, Brandon Smith gone to the Devils two years at 1.1 million. He's interesting mostly because he's a defenseman slash winger. I find those guys funny. Uh, Stefan Lorenz traded to and signed with San Jose. I'm he was enough for me to mention him, but not enough for me to talk about him past this sentence. Derek Stepan probably is retiring. Used to be good, 
now getting up there in years. Trades. They traded RFA defenseman Tony D'Angelo and a seventh to Philadelphia for a 2022 fourth, a 2023 third, and a 2024 second. Um, and then Philadelphia gave D'Angelo two years at $5 million. I mean, as a starting point, like, obviously D'Angelo is not a terrifically likable person, purely from an on-ice perspective. I also think they're smart to unload him. Mm-hmm. I I think he was inflated. Yeah, like he like his defensive weaknesses are big. Yeah, like he's a productive offensive defender. He had fifty one points last year. Good for him. He can't defend for shit. And I really, I am leery of those kinds of players. And I think you can replace them. And Carolina did so in an interesting way. Lawrence, sorry. So they traded RFA Stephen Lawrence, goalie prospect Ichu Makinyemi, and a twenty twenty three third to the San Jose Sharks. For defender Brent Burns at 34% retention. So he winds up at three years at $5.825 million for them. There's also a minor league center going to Carolina in the deal that we don't care about. Burns is the big deal. He is 37. He still has a booming shot. He can still hang in against decent competition. Like, he hasn't become unplayable or anything like that. And he'll be placed in, like, a pretty pretty good environment in terms of shot suppression and things like that. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, I, it's a bit hard to evaluate Carolina because like they have such weird home road splits that makes me like, question some of the data that we're getting on them. Mm-hmm. But by reputation, they're they're good defensively. Even if they're like, they tend to ex- do really well offensively, and that like drives a lot of their value as well. And people don't really always respect that. But I I, I buy that they might be doing something defensively that is not completely captured in data, and Burns will help. That'll help insulate Burns a little bit. Yeah, I tend to agree with that, too. You, you know, in the context of last season, Frederick Anderson um, looked like the best goalie in the league by some metrics. And it looked like he was sort of bailing out the Canes. And I'm like, I think Anderson was certainly good. But I think the Canes probably do some things to make his life easier. Um, the thing about Burns' age, if he plays at his current level for the next two years before falling off in the third, that's probably decent. And I think that's about mm-hmm. what they expect. Uh, expect um the third year might be escapable because this contract was signed before burns turned 35 so if he retires it's gone yeah um and yeah burns is like a a shot heavy defenseman i don't like typically shot heavy defensemen running my power play i have bad memories of tyson berry even though it's a little unfair of me but the hurricanes have put together good defenseman based power plays in the past dougie hamilton being the most prominent example uh Worth noting, D'Angelo did not actually shoot that often 5v4 with Carolina. I found that fascinating. Anyway, it's an interesting move. I can't say I expected Burns to get traded this way, but it's not impossible to see how it works out for Carolina. They traded future considerations, i.e. nothing, to the Vegas Golden Knights for winger Max Pacioretty. already. Yeah, wow. that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> this is the... no, that's a that that's a coup. That's a coup. Yeah, he has one year left at seven million, and then there was a depth RD also coming back to them. I mean, Pacioretty's health hasn't been great, and he's thirty three, which is why I assume the Golden Knights chose to give up on him in their constant quest to get under the salary cap. But like, sucks losing a player of his caliber for nothing. Mm-hmm. That's insane. Like. He's a deadly offensive winger. and No, he's, he's really good. Yeah. Drives offense, finishes well. He's exactly the kind of player that Carolina kind of needs. They need game breakers. And he at least has that potential. So good for them. Um, 
for nothing but cap space. Uh, they extended Ethan Bear. You're at 2.2 million. Mobile defenseman who isn't great defensively but can advance the puck. It's not a great discount for a third pair guy, but he was going to get something similar in ARB. And Andre Kasha, you may remember from his recent sojourn with Toronto, took a year at 1.5 with the Hurricanes. He's skillful. He's semi-productive. He plays with reckless abandon. Uh, if he plays 82 games, that will be a miracle on par with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But, you know, he can deliver value on that contract. Um, they have a bit of outstanding business with Martin Neshus. Uh, mm -hmm. the Carolina Hurricanes tend to squeeze their RFAs and Neshus doesn't have RFA rights. So I imagine that they're really working him down, but sooner or later, yeah, it, I mean, it tends to work out well for them, yeah. to be honest. So, you know, you add all that together and you know, the Hurricanes are active. They're interesting. They were the best team in the Metro last season. They probably still are, but I would say so. Yeah. Like, I think. Yeah, I, I, I mean, without Pacioretty, I, I don't think their offseason is amazing because I don't love the Burns deal, but yeah. Pacioretty, like, they just, they got a top-line player for free. Yeah. Like, that's a big deal. Uh, so, I mean, I think it just comes down to, is Pacioretty, for nothing, which is insane, better than Niederreiter and Trocek going? And I think mm -hmm. the two of them together still leave them a little bit in the negative. I think Dom's model also has them a slightly negative... Uh, as well but there's like sort of like the natural thing yeah of like you know good teams get a little bit worse uh, and i think also a lot of statistical models like d'angelo better than burns but in a way that's like sort of easily explicable by like okay if you swap their situations you could easily see the opposite result yeah and also like i'm and i'm trying to extract my personal bias against uh, d'angelo from the equation just for the purpose of analyzing this year i still think that 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 unloading him was a good hockey move um, putting aside that he seems like an asshole. Um, mm -hmm. And as Dom said, even though the Hurricanes probably got worse, among the teams in the contending class, almost all of them got worse for that same reason we talked about. There's gravity in the NHL that pulls you back to the middle. And so the Hurricanes, in Dom's assessment, declined probably as little as anybody. Right. With... Pacioretty specifically, like, so much of it just boils down to if he stays healthy, yeah. right? And then the big thing, we you alluded to this in your notes, is, like, really, th this cap sheet is very, very clean with the exception of the contracts to Jesperi Kotkaniemi. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know. Yeah. It, it, the thing, the Kotkaniemi contract is very weird in a lot of ways. Like, it almost reminds me of the Nick Schmaltz contract in Arizona, where it's, like, it's not that huge, for a player who is, like, semi-credible as a middle six center, but he needs to be better to be worth $4.82 million. Yes, and it's just, like, he's he's so young still. He's, like, 22. Yeah, yeah. So there's, there's still upside there. It's just, like, what he's done in the NHL so far hasn't really been that impressive. Mm -hmm. um, so that's that's the thing. I mean, it, it, is, it is funny. It's like, um, remember that Simpsons episode where Homer adopts that uh, that kid and it's like what's the reason for doing this and he's like don't say revenge don't say revenge don't say revenge <laughs> <laughs> and then he just says revenge that, that that's like the Kotkaniemi thing it's like why did you acquire why did you you know give Kotkaniemi this contract uh, revenge yeah <laughs> this was some sweet revenge yeah and like this was a handshake deal coming out of the offer sheet right like they signed him to a one year that Montreal wasn't 
going to be inclined to match. And then they gave him this term deal when they got the chance. And now it's it's a bit dicey. Um, Carolina's still a really good team. Them going on a run to the Stanley Cup Finals would not surprise me. No, they're they're good enough. Yeah. Like they're 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 a contending team. Um, they have uh, I guess a tiny bit in cap space left, which will pretty much all go to nature, I imagine. Yeah, like I, I reckon that that's basically what they got outstanding. It's not a lot of cap space. They might still want to to look at unloading somebody, although I guess they can LTIR Gardner. I think I don't know if he's planning to make a return. Yeah, they can LTIR Gardner. They can I don't know who else would, could they possibly like get out of. They they can probably play some games with like roster sizes and things like that. Yeah. Um, but I, I imagine they're just going to LTIR someone. Yeah, uh, probably. So, yeah. And it, like, Carolina's always interesting. Like, they're a shrewd team. They they certainly make mistakes. Um, right. And, and actually, if it, yeah. sorry to interrupt, but like, on Kakenyemi, I would feel more confident being like, oh, that's a bad contract if it wasn't Carolina who signed it. Yeah, exactly. Like, we still have an ingrained trust of them. And last year, when we did the Carolina segment, um, we talked about this whole transaction and we said, this is a bit iffy, but it's Carolina. They usually make the right call. And now we're starting to think maybe they just blew it this time for reasons of mm-hmm. revenge. Even, yeah, even even smart teams make bad deals. Sure. Right. Um, so, yeah, anyway, interesting offseason for sure. Uh, also kind of interesting, the Chicago Blackhawks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I feel like this is the one we should probably just blow through as well because they're just like... Yeah, they're just not that interesting. They they they're just a shit team next year. It's it's like it, I don't know, it's pretty brazen. I, like I have no love for Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves. Yeah, um, but it, it feels like they are very brazenly being like, okay, like you guys don't want to leave. We're gonna make it pretty hard for you to want to stay. Yes, the whole Chicago Blackhawks experience has been akin to burning down a storefront for the insurance money, and now they're saying the fire's getting pretty hot. You sure you don't want to wave Patrick and John? So we'll just see if that happens. I will try and do this quickly. They made one very fascinating trade, although it still yes. adds up to we, lo- we lit the store on fire. But that was winger Alex Debrinkat to Ottawa. I'll talk about that in the trade section quickly. They let Dylan Strom go to Washington for a year at 3.5. He has his limitations, not a great skater, played a ton of minutes with Kane and Debrinkat. But he was basically Chicago's 1C. They could have resigned him. They did not try. That's kind of telling. Uh, they let the winger Dominic Kubalik go. He's like a weirdo power play offensive threat who had a 30 goal season that he's never going to repeat. Um, they traded Kirby Doc to Montreal, which was interesting. We'll talk about that in the trades. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eric Gustafson left to go to Winnipeg a year at 800 K. Just going to remind you that Eric Gustafson scored 60 points on the power <laughs> in a season one time as a defenseman because of power play. And Calvin DeHaan is probably going to leave the NHL. Okay, trades. Traded 24-year-old winger Alex DeBrincat, who had one year left at 6.4, to the Ottawa Senators for the 7th overall and 39th overall picks in 2022, plus a third rounder in 2024. Wow. Uh, on the face mm. of it, this trade looks silly. DeBrincat is a phenomenal young scoring winger. He's been at a 35-goal pace for his whole NHL career so far, and he can routinely break 40. He may look a little less gaudy on Ottawa because Patrick Kane can set up his line mates, but DeBrincat is phenomenal. And the odds that the seventh overall pick is ever as good as he is now are not high. Um, the question then becomes, why did Chicago do this? Even if you are doing a full burndown rebuild, which they are, uh, you have to think carefully about trading a 24-year-old star player. DeBrincat has one year left on his deal, after which he will be in RFA with Arbright's, 
and he has a nine million qualifying offer. It will. And we saw. I mean, we saw this sort of same tactic just play out with Matthew Kachuk. Yes, this is something actually that I wanted to remark on. The RFA class of 2019 signed a lot of these bridge deals that were two or three years in length that had these kind of sting in the tail qualifying offers where the salary spikes in the last year. Um, I think Timo Meyer was another one who did this. Timo Meyer, uh, I don't know if he was 2019, but his contract was structured that way. In 2019, Matthew Kachuk, mm-hmm. Patrick Laine, uh, Braden Point, and of course, Alex DeBrincat. Um, Point signed with uh, Tampa Bay for a nice term deal because of course it's Tampa Bay. Everything works out for them. But the other deals... Uh, ended up quite messy. And Kachuk and Line, and now DeBrincat, have all been traded. So, as much as we still lament the Mitch Marner contract, it's worth noting, we at least avoided this. Um, anyway, bringing it back to DeBrincat, it would be very easy for him to do what Kachuk was threatening to do, which is to take the, the qualifying offer at $9 million and then walk to unrestricted free agency and sign with whoever he wants. Chicago is going to be absolute dog shit for the next two years, minimum. And so it makes somewhat more sense for them to cash out at what they perceive to be the height of Debrinkit's value. I get the logic for it. It's kind of a sad thing to be trading a player like this, though. It is, yes. And it speaks to how kind of poorly Chicago has been managed in like the last few years. Mm -hmm. Um, they, They haven't handled like kind of the decline phase from their contention very well. And... They did like a half-pregnant try to still contend while, you know, building up the young guys. Didn't totally work. Mm-hmm. Uh, Taves had injuries. Kane is still good mm-hmm. um, on the ice, but not good enough to, to really drag a roster to relevance in of itself. Their defense has just been awful for a long time. Now. Mm-hmm. So it, it is sort of sad. I, it, I, I sort of hate to do... This is something that annoys me a lot in NBA discourse where people will just kind of praise a team for, like, tearing it down. Yeah. Because, like, I don't know, tearing it down is easy. Build, building it up is harder. And, like, by tearing it down, you can sort of absolve yourself of criticism for the next few years. It's like, okay, cool, we're just setting off anyone who's decent. We're going to be bad, we're going to get draft picks, and then we're going to go from there, and that buys me two years. Yeah. Right? And it's it's maybe the smart thing to do, but it does suck as a fan. If you're a fan of the Blackhawks, and God knows, you know, it hasn't been fun to be a fan of the Blackhawks in the past little bit. Yeah, <laughs> it's no been pretty horrifying. It's probably made people reevaluate what they think of this team. Yeah. Um, and now, like, you're going to have even fewer good memories associated with this team over the next couple years. Yeah. Right? And that, that's, that's rough. And it's not something you want a bunch of teams in a league doing at the same time. Because, you know, as much as it... We talk a lot of times about, oh, these teams are going, some teams are going nowhere, they're in the middle, they're not going to do much. You don't want a team that has like eight teams trying to win and 24 teams that are just like, oh, you know, let's race to the bottom. Yeah. Uh, right. You, you want some teams who see value in being a good team that can, you know, maybe go far and if things go well, make a conference finals run or like have a puncher's chance. And, and that, that, I feel like that's important to the health of the league as a spectator product. Yeah. Chicago is kind of spitting in that face right now, which is, is their right to do. Yeah, like, like it, it's fine, and it, they're not the first to do it by any means. No. Um, that, that problem you talked about, about not having enough teams willing to just be good, is a big issue in Major League Baseball right now. Mm-hmm. Um, from Chicago's perspective, I, I also wanted to note, they traded their first this year in the just horrific Seth Jones transaction. Yes, yeah, that was, that's, another, that's another thing. <laughs> yeah, they traded for Seth Jones... 
extended him immediately. This is the thing we talked about again, which where you pay a, a premium for a guy who's got a year left, the deal you sign him to is going to be insanely expensive because he, it's very clear you really, really want him. And so you're not going to lose him for nothing after you paid a pick price for him. They immediately gave him eight years at 9.5. It's not that Seth Jones is a bad defenseman. It's that it's probably too much. It's that they gave up assets at the wrong time. And the result was they gave away the sixth overall pick this year, um, this past year, which is just kind of gruesome for them. I wonder if it was relevant that in trading to Brinkett, they chose to get a pick back that was very close to the one they gave up. They gave up the sixth for Jones, not knowing it would be that high. They got back the seventh for Brinkett. So kind of put them where they might have been. Maybe that's some sort of psychological consolation. Anyway, interesting. We'll talk about Ottawa's end of it in that segment, which will be in another episode. But yeah, it's it's fascinating. And you, you might have expected to bring it to get more. And I have to think that the fear of flight risk suppressed his market a little bit. Mm-hmm. They traded center Kirby Dock to the Montreal Canadiens for the 2023 13th overall pick and the 2022 66th overall pick. This is a fascinating give up on your prospects early move. You don't see this this often. Because Dak is 21 and he was picked third overall in 2019. He didn't light the world on fire in his first full NHL season last year. He had 26 points, but he wasn't unplayable. And No, and yeah. he's young. Yeah, like, clearly they just felt it's like we're going to give up on him. That's all this is, is we're, we don't think that he's going to deliver. And it's time to cash out right. before his draft pick cachet fades. And these sell early moves are sort of interesting because just by virtue of a team selling early, they probably depress the market mm-hmm. a bit because it's like, okay, well, like, you know, if I'm a team dealing with Chicago, yeah. you have more information about Kirby Doc than I do, yeah. right? And if our information was like the same around pre-draft, we thought he was very good. And now you have more information, you think he's bad. Like that makes it seem like I, I shouldn't value him the way I valued him two years ago. Yes. All right. It provides some signaling. Um, at the same time, we've seen these deals work out very badly for the team that sells early. Montreal with Mikhail Sergachev is a very obvious example. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Like, there is risk in giving up on a player who has talent at 21. I think it's probably relevant that it wasn't uh, Kyle Davidson who drafted Kirby Dak. It's easier to give up oh, on absolutely. a pick when it's not yours. It was Stan Bowman who mm-hmm. made the pick. So, yeah, he might have not been quite so attached. Still, though, fascinating trade. Um... And we'll talk a little bit from the Montreal perspective. Yes, we will. Um, They also traded the 38th overall pick in 2022 to the Leafs for the 25th overall pick and goaltender Peter Mrazek. You kind of know what this was on our end. We were unloading salary. The Hawks said, yep, open for business. I think that this didn't seem like actually that big uh, a price for them to charge to take on 3.8 million in salary. I, I, I kind of would have expected it to cost more, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, totally fine from Chicago's perspective. They signed Luke Richardson to be their head coach. He was previously an assistant with the Habs, the Islanders, and the Sens, so maybe he has experience with bad teams. Just as a side note on Mrazek, I wonder if the Leafs just did a relatively good job convincing them of like, okay, we'll just keep Mrazek. Like we're, yeah. we're not like we 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 can we can keep him and just sign Eric Comrie yeah. to pull a name that we've already talked about yeah. for like 1.8, and we're we're okay with that. Yeah, like what else are we gonna do? Trade for Matt Murray and pay him even more? No, that would be stupid. Um, <laughs> I'm fine. I'm fine. Uh, The Blackhawks signed Max Domi. We already mentioned him. Decent playmaking wing. Takes too many penalties. One year at three point million with no trade protection. I wonder what they're going to do. Yeah, he's going to a contender to play like second line center. Yep. 
Andreas Athanasiu, one year at three point million again. Very speedy, kind of rush monster player. Actually, if Boston, if Bergeron comes back, I feel like Boston would be would have interest in Max Domi. Great deadline. God, yeah. You're right, and I hate it. (laughs) I just envision them as a first round opponent. I mean, it's yeah. I I mean, Boston's such a likable team normally. Weird that they poke around Max Domi. There are actually a few, like, I, I do these things where I, I go around the league in articles or something, and I make fun of people and stuff like that. And uh, there is a small contingent of Boston fans who have noticed that I am very unsympathetic to them. And it might appear that I'm biased, and I just want to say, fuck the Boston Bruins. Good. Anyway, uh, they also signed Colin Blackwell, you might remember, two years at 1.2 million. This is just the teensiest bit much for a fourth line type. But the Blackhawks don't... What do you mean a fourth-line type? He's their second-line center. <laughs> Allow me to rephrase. A fourth-line type on a real team. <laughs> like, a, like a top player on the Blackhawks. Yeah. Uh, they have... He's like one of their best contracts at this point. <laughs> oh, this team is a tire fire. Uh, they have two outstanding RFAs, Philip Kurashev. Uh, what are they arguing over? He had 21 points last year. Who knows? And defender Caleb Jones, third-pair defenseman. Is he Seth Jones' brother? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Um, anyway, the Hawks lit their team on fire. The whole point here is make Taze and Kane waive their clauses. I don't mm-hmm. know if you get anything for Taze at this point. Kane... You'd have to retain for sure. For 100%. But they have the money to do it. So, uh, And Kane had 92 points last season. So at half retention, is... he'll get you a mint. Yes, Kane is still a very, very good player. Yeah. Um, just to give you some idea of what this team did to itself, the Hawks were a bottom five offensive team last season. Of their top four forwards in scoring, the second, third, and fourth are all gone. Kane is first. So DeBrincat, Dylan Stroman, Brandon Hagel, who went in the deadline trade to Tampa, are all gonzo. Domi and Athanasiu are not going to make up that deficit, even putting aside the fact that they're both probably going to be traded by game 60. You didn't account for Colin Blackwell. No, that's true. Colin Blackwell is going to get 75 points. Um, their net is entrusted to Peter Mrazek and Alex Stalock, which doesn't feel like the safest thing to do in the year of our Lord 2022. This is a, this is a tank. tank. Yeah. This is a full burn it down tank. They're going to suck for a while. You will not have to think about them until the rumors of a Patrick Kane trade in the, in the spring. It's going to be an interesting race to the bottom between them and Arizona. Yeah. I, I feel like Arizona just has the experience in this that I think, <laughs> I think that'll help them out. They, they, know, they know how to lose the close games. Yeah, like, you know, all kidding aside, you just have to have that loser's mentality. And Arizona does. Yeah. Uh, the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, boy, that's a sharp transition, Chicago to Colorado, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. Departures. Nazem Kadri, question mark? What's going on? <laughs> Is he signing with the Islanders? Um... He was the side note. What do the Islanders get out of like not announcing this now? <laughs> I am so confused by by this whole like Lube likes to keep the signing secret. And it's like, why? Yeah, like, what are you achieving here? Anyway, like, I don't know if it's that they have to make a corresponding move or something, and they don't want to look desperate by putting themselves in a position where they obviously have to make a corresponding move. But it's getting weird. Like, we're a month into free agency here, and the top UFA on the market has not signed. You can't tell me it's because no one wanted him. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, I don't know if there's a deal in principle already with either Colorado or the Islanders. I won't be totally sure he's leaving the abs until he does. 
Um, Kadri had the season of his life in Colorado this year. He's 87 points in 71 games, which smashed his career high. He's a great, gritty playmaker. He draws penalties. He scores enough to be a goal threat. Occasionally, he goes insane and takes a massive suspension in the playoffs. He's going to... Yeah, yeah, I mean... The, 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 the suspension stuff in the playoffs sort of always belied the fact that, like, you, you would think that Nazem Kadri's game would, is very well suited for the playoffs, actually. Yes, if he can just... And, and it has been, yeah, yeah when, when he's played. Yeah. And he is, like, he's a very good player. Um, yes. He is going to turn 32. He never came close to a 100-point pace before this year. I assumed he was going to get a dangerous overpay, but at this point, that's no longer clear because the overpays tend to happen pretty quickly. Um, Evolving Hockey has him at 7.12 million on a three-year and 8.47 on a seven-year. Um, in Kadri's case, you might expect more years would actually turn down the AV. Anyway, if the Avs are going to sign him to either of those numbers, they will have to trade somebody. So, I don't know whether the Avs are planning to open up space to bring him back or what they're going to do. If he's gone, he's a big loss. You know, there's no getting around that. Um... They also lost Andre Burakovsky, unrestricted to Seattle, five years at five and a half million per. Big, quick, versatile, complimentary scoring forward. He had a career year in 2022, as about half the abs did. Uh, this might be a little rich if he drops back to the 45-point range, but he's good and he's 27. Jack Johnson may be retiring, but he got a cup ring. He's 35, and he's not very good, but GMs have signed him in spite of him not being very good in the past, so who knows? Uh, Nicholas Abe-Kubel, we talked about in our Toronto segment, so I won't rehash it. A year and a million. Um, Ryan Murray is consistently injured. Didn't appear in the playoffs for Colorado, despite apparently being healthy enough to do so at the time. Might be done. And Darcy Kemper. Unrestricted to the Washington Capitals. 5.25 million for five years. He was a very good goalie for Colorado in the regular season, and then he was kind of injured and shaky in the playoffs. I would guess injury risk was a factor in the abs not wanting to give Kemper a term deal. He's 32. But he's generally been good when he's played. Yeah, I mean, I think the bad postseason has sort of made people forget how good he was in the regular season. Mm -hmm. I mean, not that Colorado needed it. They could have, they would have still been a playoff team if they had me in that probably. Yeah. But I, he was very, very good in the regular season, and that matters. Yeah, and that helps. You know, that sets you up to run away with the Western Conference, for example, and draw, I don't know, the Nashville Predators in the first round, who you smoke. Mm -hmm. Uh, they made one trade, a 2022 third round pick, a 2022 fifth round pick, and a 2023 third round pick for Alexander Georgiev. Three years at 3.4 million. Um, they extended him after he came over. He was once considered an up-and-coming goalie prospect and even a successor to Henrik Lundqvist before Igor Shesterkin kind of grabbed that job and ran away with it screaming. Uh, Georgiev hasn't actually shown that much in the NHL, if you look past a good Ross A percentage in his first couple years. He's never been one whole goal above expected for a season, and the last few years he's actually been way under it. But the Avs bet on him to be their 1A. I don't know about this, to be honest with you. I think this has some downside risk. The Avs are still the Avs, so, does, yeah. yeah, whatever. But it's like, they were so stacked last year that they could win with middling goaltending in the playoffs. That may mm -hmm. no longer be the case, and Georgiev may not do better. But they could afford him. Uh, signings and extensions. Val Nishushkin, eight years at $6.125 million. He should give Evolving Hockey a commission. Uh, he always had great fancy stats. His production ramped up to career highs last year. 
And now he has a nice fat contract. He's big, powerful skater, and he drives the net. As long as he stays healthy for the bulk of this deal, I think this is very nice. Um, maybe some downside risk yeah, at the end. Yeah, I agree. Um, I'm one, but if you're if you're if you're the abs, yeah. like, I mean, you won't, you care about the last eight, the next eight years because like McKinnon and McCarr are young enough. But it's like okay, we we want to make hay while the sun is shining. Yeah, like your priority as Colorado now is let's be a dynasty. So yeah, yeah. Uh, they extended Josh Manson four years at four and a half. Um, he struggled the past few years in Anaheim. He looked good in the playoffs. And I think the best defense for him is that he's a playoff type player and he was good in the playoffs. So that's probably what they're paying for. If the abs get the guy who's been in the regular season, um, it's less hot and he's had injuries. He's physical, so could age fast. But he's a nice stylistic match with Sam Girard. Who's like a mobile puck moving player, um, and they did play together. We'd see that Josh Manson add some size, <laughs> some some snarl. Can he snap the puck around? Oh, forever in our hearts. Uh, they extended winger Arturi Lekkinen, five years at four and a half. Nice versatile supporting winger. Again, I don't think they got a discount here, but I think he's useful. No, I, and I think that's sort of the theme is like there are some players who they couldn't afford to to pay and they, they left and the players who they could they didn't get it like super cheap or anything but like they just said okay screw it we'll retain these guys because we're still capturing a ton of value elsewhere exactly um and they extended forwards andrew cogliano and darren helm who are eerily similar uh they're both 35 they're both speedy defensive-minded forwards and they both signed for a year at 1.25 million yeah so i mean this is like not a um definitely not like a huge deal or anything but if they really wanted to, to to save some money, I feel like they could have replaced those guys for like with like league men guys, yeah, and, and have done all right. But it's also you know you want to reward. There's like some endowment bias. You want to reward the guys who you want to cup with, and like locker room dynamics and things like that. Like it's not a not anything worth like really fussing over. Yeah, like this felt like the ads looked and said, "Hey, we were the best team. We proved it. Let's basically try and keep the team, except we'll flip out goalies, and then maybe we have to lose Kadri. But, like, they got worse. Uh, as we've said, that kind of is what happens when you're at this level. Um, but losing Kadri and Burakovsky and Kemper hurts. It just mm-hmm. does. They come back to the, to the pack. We've seen a couple of dynasty strength teams in the last few years, Chicago and then Tampa Bay, where they started from this huge height of accumulated talent. And they shed talent gradually over time. But by being decently smart for a stretch and being so stacked to begin with, they stayed uh, contending for extended periods and won multiple cups. Colorado is a decent threat to do that as long as Georgiev remembers how to play that. Yes, and they also have some ability. I mean, if Alex Newhook can step into a bigger role, that'll help them a lot, for example. Yeah, absolutely. That's uh, the other thing. Um, still like a very enviable defense group. I think they have a bit of a question mark at second line center now for sure with JT Comfer presumably filling in for Kadri. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe another team that'd be interested in Max Domi as the playoff rental. Yeah, somebody will take him, even though he's not like, he's not a great center, even though he gets used that way, but whatever. No, but yeah, I mean, it, it's always <laughs> rough to find second line centers. Second line centers, like probably among contenders, it's one of the positions where... It's kind of, I don't know, it's sort of difficult to fill. Yes, it is. Okay, so yeah, Colorado is still the best team in the West for my money. Um, okay, we're halfway through. It's, yes. Uh, let's move <laughs> to the Columbus Blue Jackets. 
Yes. So we've improved our pace. We're now we're looking at three hours, 30 minutes. Oof. Progress. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so the Columbus Blue Jackets, they're... I just, we're now into the teams that I did the primary research on, so I'll probably do more talking in the back half of this podcast uh, than Fullman, who, who like, carried the load in the first half. Um, I've structured it a bit differently. I haven't like broken out trades incre- uh, separately too much. I've just kind of said departures and acquisitions. Um, so we're starting with departures. Um, Oliver Bjorkstrand, who was on a deal that paid him $5.4 million for the next four years, was traded to Seattle, who have gotten much better, by the way. Um, for a 2023 third and a 2023 fourth. And my verdict on this trade is that it sucks that there's apparently a law that Columbus can only have two good forwards at the same time. Yeah, like, this sucks. And it was necessitated by other moves that we'll get to, I guess. Yes. That they had to clear cap somewhere. Did they have to clear it here for very yeah. little? They got, Okay, so, I mean, the let's talk about the return first, because it's easy to talk about. The 2023 third, 2023 fourth, that is precisely dog shit. Yeah. Like, it, it doesn't really matter. Like, uh, what's I think? I remember you always said, like, basically the going rate for a rental goaltender is a third. Yeah. It's like, cool. That, that's how much a third is worth. It's not much. Mm-hmm. It's worth 20 games of an okay goaltender. Yeah. Um, a fourth is obviously worth slightly less than that. So, yeah, this, this sucks. Bjorkstrand's a good player on a good deal for a long time. Uh, he does a bit of everything. He does it really well. He's arguably better than Patrick Laine, who we will get to shortly because um, they, they extended him. If I were the Blue Jackets, I would have tried to move basically anyone besides Oliver Bjorkstrand to make the salary work. So it, it's this just seems like stepping on a rake. I, I do not understand this. To the, I mean, I guess I, I do understand that they had to trade clear cap, as you said, but this is the, the last guy I want to trade on this team. I, I would rather give up like a first to unload Gustav Nyquist than, than trade... Yorkstrand. Yeah, I, I'll just add, you don't even have to accept that he's better than Patrick Laine, because I know that a lot of traditionalist people won't, to accept that it's still a mistake to unload him at this price. There were other better things they could have done with the money, including keeping um, Laine and Bjorkstrand. Yes, and we will get to that very <laughs> shortly. Let's talk quickly about two signings they made. And by talk about, I mean, mention that they occurred, Gabriel Carlson, or two, sorry, two signings, that two people who left. Gabriel Carlson signed one year, basically, league men in Washington. Kevin Stenden signed one year, basically, league men in Winnipeg. Neither is consequential. Um, acquisitions, Johnny Goudreau. So we talked about this from the Calgary perspective. Uh, just to refresh, seven years, 9.75 million. Biggest reagent went to a team no one really thought they would go to. Um, the contract is fine, good, actually, I would say. But... It's, it's sort of weird for Columbus, especially in conjunction with them, them trading their second-best player. <laughs> or their second-best forward, at least. Yeah. Um, we've talked about this before. It was very relevant with John Tavares. It's relevant here. When you sign a star-free agent, by definition, they are going to be 27-28. You're signing them to seven or eight years, depending on if they're on your team or not. So you are paying for early to mid-30 seasons. Those seasons are not clearly not going to be worth what, the player, what you were paying the player over the course of that contract. So you're hoping to really capture the value in the first few years. Those have an exaggerated weight in terms of how successful the contract is. You really want to win in the first few years or be positioned to win in the first few years. Columbus is not, in my opinion, positioned to win in the first few years of Johnny Gaudreau's contract. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think the deal is fine in the abstract. If you tell me Johnny Gaudreau, seven years, 9.75, that's good. I didn't look up the um, evolving hockey stats on this, but I imagine that's in line. With, with, yeah. with, what they, with what they had. 
The problem is it's just they're not a, really a contending team. This doesn't really push them that close to the playoff picture, in my opinion. Mm. And you also have to account for the fact that, like, Goodrow is a very good player. He's a star player. It was a career year in his late 20s. It's probably not going to be repeatable going forward completely. Like, it, it was his best year. He might hit that again. It seems unlikely he'll exceed that, especially because his quality of teammate has now gone down because, again, they traded their second best forward. Yeah. I would note two things about this. First thing is, Columbus has an issue with franchise credibility that has bedeviled them for years in terms of mm-hmm. good players wanting to leave, uh, good players not wanting to come. Johnny Gaudreau, star player, top of the market, comes to them. That's a big deal for them. And No, and that's fair. That's I, I, and that, to, to be clear, I'm not saying they shouldn't yeah. have signed this deal. I'm saying it's like maybe less helpful than it appears, and especially in conjunction with their other moves. Right. So, yeah, the first point I want... To, to make is that like they almost have to do this the second point i want to make though i did a little bit of a wisdom of crowds poll on twitter after this trade and i said assuming they tr- they sign patrick liney without losing anyone else significant which turned out not to be true because they had to unload bjorkstrand to sign him uh are the columbus blue jackets a playoff team next year and 70 percent of people said no i think 70 percent of people are probably right and again that's putting aside that they lost a good player for all like the the understandable excitement and i hate to piss on people's parades um here like you know good for them columbus has had some rough goes the last few years they've got a very very good player who will be exciting and fun to watch who chose them when most of the hockey world discounted their ability to sign these players still i like i think that this is a mid-80s team and well and i guess we should preface, I guess we should really emphasize, the mistake is not signing Goudreau. Yeah. The mistake is doing what I'm about to talk about next, which is signing Eric Goodbranson for four years at four million per year. You're lying on this mid- That's the problem. <laughs> the drill tweet. <laughs> yes, oh yeah. So I, I wrote as my notes, someone who is de- understands the economy, please help me. My hockey team is dying. <laughs> this is a terrible deal. And again, I'm, and we'll talk about, this will come up a couple times with uh, some defense signings that other teams that we're going to talk about have have made i'm willing to give benefit of the doubt on defense signings in particular because i think they're harder to evaluate pro scouting plays a bigger deal um and like i'm more willing to acknowledge hey i don't watch every game uh so there's there's people who definitely slip through the cracks and their stats are like not as good for whatever reason and yada 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 a good grant and i'm like relatively confident in being bad yeah i think i think like charitably he's a bottom pairing defender he has some pk utility mm-hmm you're spending four million on him, giving him a ten-team no trade, forcing yourself to get rid of a player like Bjorkstrand. Like this is just a certified dumbass move. Yeah, like this is four million. That's most of the way towards um, keeping Bjorkstrand. Bjorkstrand. Yeah, Bjorkstrand's five point four. Yeah, straight up, don't do it. Like, I, and I think that that's one to one. Now, you can acknowledge Good Branson is a friend of Goodrow's, and mm-hmm. I think that some of the defense online of this deal would be. Well, Good Branson probably helped sway them to getting Goodrow. But then you're paying Johnny Goodrow seven years at thirteen, or not seven well, years, but like four years, fourteen million, yeah. which is not a good contract. Yes, and that's the flip side of it. And so, yeah, even if you are willing to tie it that directly, it, it, it's pretty questionable. And I think it does; it mitigates the benefit they get. So, well, I mean, it's 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 a couple things. Like if you sign Johnny Goodrow to um, four years, fourteen million. That's like clearly not a good deal, but also it's it that's actually a better deal than what's actually happened if you accept these two as a package because you've also taken up a roster spot. Mm-hmm. 
and you have to play good Branson. Yeah. So, so yeah, yeah, that that's an unconvincing argument to me. Yeah, and I, I think. Um, yeah. Okay. They they re-signed some players. Uh, Emil Ben Ben uh, Benstrom, two years, nine hundred k. Adam Bokvist, three years, two point six million. These are all. Every anytime I say the dollar figure, it's AAV. Yeah. So that's per year. Um, Bokvist was acquired from Chicago in the Seth Jones deal. Very good deal for for Columbus. Um, he was young and like relatively highly regarded. His numbers don't look great. He struggled defensively in particular last year, which sort of tracks with what I heard of him. You know, prior to that, uh, this is like a standard bridge deal. Nothing, nothing really to see here. He has some upside, which not a lot of players on this roster do. Um, I guess maybe like Yegor Shinakov also does, but you know, it, it's it, it's sort of whatever. Um, they re-signed Eunice Corpusalo, uh, one year, one point three million. Has been kind of bad for his entire career, but he's the backup. Jack Roslovic, two years, four million. I, I sort of liked Jack Roslovic for a while. Uh, he was like on the outs in Winnipeg for seemingly forever. And he's blossomed into like a good middle six center, right? Uh, so in particular, that sort of arose through his finishing ability. If that's real, this is an all right contract. It's not like a gigantic steal. And it's, you know, because it's short term, it's sort of if Roslovic proves to be worth it, then you will have to pay him accordingly. Mm-hmm. Uh, any thoughts on those before we get to the big one? Um, no. Roslovic feels like the kind of guy you signed because you couldn't get anyone better, but he's not bad. Yeah, like, he's respectable. Yeah. I, I assume he's... I think he's going to be their second line center. Yeah, I mean, lots of lots of moving parts here. They are not strong down the middle at all. Like, they're no. much stronger on the wings, which is generally not a good sign. Like, you can have lines that are carried by their wingers, like if it's Panarin or Stone. But I, I don't know. And, and Goodrow can arguably do that, Goodrow too. Because, like, I mean, yeah. the arguably the best line in the league last year was Goodrow, Kachuk, Lindholm. And Lindholm was clearly the worst of those players, although he's still good. Yeah. Um, and I have to say, though, I don't think Columbus has any center as good as Elias Lindholm. So. I would agree with that. Okay. Um, okay, so the other signing, Patrick Laine, four years, $8.7 million. Um, and Laine, young Laine, was a case study in how good can someone be or how good does someone have to be at shooting in order to make them like clearly a very good and actually like excellent player despite being pretty bad by NHL standards at every other part of hockey mm. right um and the answer was well if that guy's an elite shooter like the best shooter in the world yeah it kind of doesn't matter that he's bad at everything else because being an elite shooter is like turns out super super useful mm-hmm. right mega elite shooting can carry you to being an all-star and one of the best players of the world, even if you're not good at anything else. But the problem is, Line A, over the past few years, has not been off the charts as a shooter. He has been merely excellent. Yes. And the difference is, like, if you think about, like, kind of a a normal distribution, the differences in the tails are really massive. The difference between a 95th percentile player and a 99th percentile player are like bigger in raw terms than the difference between a 50th percentile player and a 75th percentile player in a lot of cases, mm. or like a 65th percentile player, right? Like it, it the, the tails can be really, really, really um, thin. So someone who is the absolute best shooter in the world provides way more value than someone who is a top 10 shooter in the world. And that's sort of what's happened to Lainey. He's His shooting has come back from off the charts good to merely very good. Mm. And that makes all his other flaws a lot more obvious and a lot less palatable. Mm-hmm. I think the thing about Line a is that 
he's almost the opposite of Bjorkstrand, and I feel like it's actually quite telling that they unloaded Bjorkstrand to sign Line. Line is good at the things that get the most attention. He's a he's a very good shooter, as we've said, even if he's no longer super super elite. Um, he's big. That shot is a cannon too. Like when it's going in, you know it. Um, it's really impressive, and I think that that all adds up to teams almost have to pay this kind of player. He's been in two not super desirable free agent markets in Winnipeg and Columbus, and they both wound up signing him to these kind of fat, kind of tension-laden deals where like, they're giving him a, a lot of money for production uh, without a ton of term, and there's always a bit of tension in the relationship because he doesn't give you much on the defensive end. In my heart, I find myself thinking, look, you shouldn't need that much defense out of your wingers. But he's never been very good at it. And kind of remarkably, he's huge. He's not immobile. You'd think he could do more than he does, but whatever. Um, I do think that you probably end up paying a lot for his scoring. And the, But the truth is, is that Line could get hot for a year and win the Rocket Richard. And then everyone says sure. it's great. But... Yeah. yeah, I think he can live up to this deal, but I think he's less likely to than, yeah. than the op- opposite, right? Yeah. And I would definitely rather have Bjorkstrand on his deal than Lion A on his. Because as you said, like, Bjorkstrand, is, Bjorkstrand is merely a, quite good at everything. Mm-hmm. And having, not having one skill where he is like, absolutely elite probably hurts his IQ rating in some ways. Yeah. I, I know that a lot of stats people think the Lion A deal is actually like pretty bad i find it hard to totally disregard just his obvious goal scoring ability to the extent where i'm like i'm okay writing it off but definitely uh the sticker price is pretty pretty steep on this one i mean yeah yeah, i don't i don't love i don't i i think i land closer to like uh, it's not a good deal i don't think it's like actively awful i understand why they made it again it's like you could have had line and goodrow and bjorkstrand yes right like really the issue here is good branson yeah and I guess the the other issue is Columbus has like a host of bad contracts. Like when um, when I heard of the Bjorkstrand trade, I remember in our like PVP Slack chat, I was like, do they like why did they have to trade him? And Katya was like, their contracts are awful. Mm-hmm. And so they just have like a bunch of guys who you forgot about who are making four million. Yes. Like Gustav Nyquist, like Sean Corrali, like Boone Jenner. Yeah. Um, and Voracek, who was good last year, to be clear, and they, yes. they got him in in a bit of a weird trade to shorten the timeline with Philadelphia. Like, he had 62 points last year, but he is yeah. making $8.25 million against the cap. Like, Yeah, th- but that I view differently because yeah. it's it's like, yeah. you know, they, they got out of Atkinson yeah. for, for that. I mean, Karani's not making $4 million, to be clear. That was flipping. He's making two and a half. Yeah. But But, you know, same idea. And I guess the bigger one is, and this is sort of, can be lumped in the same boat as Line A in some ways. It's Zach Wierenski. Yes. Because he's making 9.5, nearly 9.6 for the next, I don't know, six six years or so, seven mm-hmm. years. Um, he's probably not quite worth that deal. He, again, he's like very good at specific things, but the sum is sort of worth less than the individual parts of his game in some ways. Like He, he takes enough off the table that the things he does really, really well don't end up being incredibly valuable relative to where his contract lies. Yeah. There's actually an interesting comparison here where it's like, Wierenski's good offensively. If he's the best defenseman on your team, are are you entirely comfortable with it? I don't know. And sometimes we've said that about Morgan Riley. And Riley's only actually three years older and makes two million a year less. 
Like, <laughs> and we've we've had our issues with the Riley contract, but looking at Wierenski, I think I see the same thread that runs through their decision to sign Liney, their decision to sign Gaudreau is, it's so hard for us to keep good players Yeah, that we have to. And, like, we have to sign Gaudreau. After we sign Gaudreau, we have to keep Line A. With When Wierenski came up, it's we have to lock this guy up for term. Um, right. And, they, I mean, Wierenski is not bad. No, not at all. He's a good player, right? But it's just, like... 9.6 is a lot. Like, Kale McCarr's making 9. Yeah. And that's the best contract in the league, but, you know, Miro Heiskanen's... I forget if he's making 9 or 9.5. Yeah, and, like, um, Heiskanen's a better player, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Heiskanen's making 8.45. 8.4, geez. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I forgot about that. So, you know, like, yeah, I, I think that Columbus is still wrestling with the core issue of them as a franchise, which is that they have a hard time keeping and attracting free agents. And even though this offseason looks like it rebutted that issue with Gaudreau, I think Gaudreau actually throws a lot of it into sharp relief that they don't have um, as much optionality as they might like. As a result, I think that this team is going to be mediocre. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I would agree with that. All right, let's move on to uh, Miro Heiskanen's team, the Dallas Stars. The Dallas Stars so, are always doing some weird shit, man. Yeah. Yes, they are. And, I mean, while we're here, we, we have to do our contractually obligated piece as hockey podcasters to remind you that Miro Heiskanen is, in fact, very, very good. <laughs> it's in the contract, um, we have to say it. Yeah, it's in the contract. Miro Heiskanen is good. You want you want to sound smart when people talk hockey, just be like, oh, Miro Heiskanen might actually be better than Kale McCarr. I don't think he is, no. but, like, you know, it's, it's <laughs> one of those things you say to sound intelligent. <laughs> He's not. Um, <laughs> but you say it. Um. So, departures, John Klingberg signed one year, $7 million to the Ducks in a deal we already discussed. Um, Vlad Nemesnikov signed one year, $2.5 million to return to Tampa Bay. Kind of a capable depth forward returning to Tampa. He was only in Dallas very briefly. He got traded there mm-hmm. um, midseason. Um, the acquisitions. This is interesting. Mason Marchment, four years, four and a half per. Marchment has a tiny, tiny sample in which he looks like one of the very best players in the league. How real is that? I don't know. Mm-hmm. The thing is, though, if Marchment is basically halfway between league average and his current ability based on, like, all the statistical tools that we have, he is, like, clearly worth this deal, Mm -hmm. right? So as a result, there is a ton of upside here. Um, And the upside is Mason Marchment is exactly as good as he was in Florida. Yes. And then suddenly, yeah, as you say, it's a terrific deal. Marchment has not yet played 100 NHL games. Mm-hmm. Like that's kind of crazy to contemplate for a player who has this contract, which he signed at the age of 27. Um, so very late bloomer. Um, he also has had some injury history that might be a little dicey for a player that plays quite physically and is a bit of a power forward type. I think that was also a factor in Toronto giving up on him when they did. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I am less so- confident about what's going to happen on this deal than any other deal we've talked about. Yeah, me too. Um, Florida has done this with other players. That's the thing. Like Carter Verhage, Carter Verhage was good in Tampa Bay. He wasn't this good, mm-hmm. right? Um, Anthony Duclair was good in various other places, but kind of was incredible in Florida. Mm-hmm. And part of that is, you know, he Duclair in particular got to play a fair bit with Barkov, I believe. And that wasn't necessarily true of, of Marshman. Marshman spent a lot of last year with Reinhardt and Lundell, who are good players, but that's not Huberto, that's not Barkov. Mm-hmm. So 
you know, I, I think this is really a bet on pro scouting. Yeah. On, on, like, you know, if, if your team believes, no, Marshman is really good. Like, the stuff he did well is independent of everything else that Florida did. And, like, he was probably helped by Florida, but he was also helping Florida. And he was, you know, helping to boost how, how Reinhardt looked, how Lundell looked, how his other line mates looked, you know? Mm-hmm. So... I think I like the signing a lot. I think it's a good high upside deal. There, there, there's, there's a bit of downside, but like not a ton because I find it hard to believe that Marchment won't, won't be at the very least like a two and a half to three and a half million dollar player, mm. right? And then if that's the case, like then it kind of sucks. But whatever. Yeah. Like I, I think I think the upside is like very much worth it in this case. Yeah. Um. They also signed Colin Mitter, two years, one point eight five, uh, and Will Butcher, one year, seven fifty k. Whenever you can acquire a third of Buffalo's defense from last year, you have to do it. Uh, these guys, I mean, yeah, Miller Miller was had great results in Vegas on the Isle of Sheltered, third-pairing defenseman. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, I don't remember. He wasn't actually that sheltered. He played with Shea Theodore, didn't he? He was th- sheltered in, where was he before? Oh, I forget. LA, maybe? Or I forget. Anyways, at one point, he was on the Isle of Sheltered, third-pairing defenseman. Um, he did well there. He was in Vegas, did well there. And then Buffalo's like, okay, let's pay him. And then he was not very good. Yes. Uh, it was Boston so he, before Vegas, for the record. Yeah. Oh, okay. Thanks. Um, so he still grades out as, like, average or better defensively, but the offensive play driving has, like, kind of cratered. And this is one of those things where, like, this is where I would give some benefit of the doubt. Like, okay, I mean, if you... Ex- Colin Miller, even when his offensive play driving numbers looked solid, was never viewed as, like, oh, this is a great offensive defenseman. So it makes me think, okay, there's other things that were going on around him that made the offense succeed when he was on the ice... And if those things aren't in place, then he doesn't have that sort of impact. But if you do have those things in place, he still is useful defensively. And at, you know, less than $2 million for two years, even if it's on your bottom pair, that's kind of all right. And we know he can do that. Yeah. So, not... Uh, and if he puts up, like, league average results on, like, a second pairing, that's actually a very good deal. Yeah, like, there is still some potential upside there, even if we're, we're quite guarded about Miller's ability to move up the lineup now. Yeah. Um, and Butcher is kind of the same. He's been sort of bad recently. I'm willing to, like, kind of throw a flyer on him. It's, like, basically a league man. Mm-hmm. So, whatever. Go for yeah. it. Um, some re-signings. Dennis Guriana, one year, 2.9 million. I think this is one of those situations where it's, like, this isn't, like, recognized as a bad contract. And I mean, it's not, like, a bad contract because it's one year. Mm-hmm. Right? But, you know, a team will say, oh, we don't have any bad contracts at all. Like, we should be a, a, a good team. Why are we not? And it's, like, well, you're paying Dennis Guriana of 2.9 million. And he's not all that. Mm-hmm. Right? It's just, like, he's, like, not a useful player at this point from what I've seen. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I. Gurianov has always had issues defensively. Coaches have like kind of never seemed to trust him, as far as I can tell. Mm-hmm. And unless his offensive ability really, really explodes, it's sort of hard to see a long-term commitment to him. That's like a good idea. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I basically agree with all that. Um, the last couple of things we should talk about with Dallas are some RFAs, and this is this is really interesting. So Dallas has about $10 million in space right now, but both Jake Ottinger and Jason Robertson are restricted free agents. And I would assume that they would have to bridge at least one of them. Mm. Based on based on just the fact that $10 million probably isn't enough to go long on both. And the reason is because, like, Jason Robertson is really damn good. Mm-hmm. He is... A complete offensive player. He is big. He is fast. He is strong. He has a good shot. He gets a lot of shot volume. He is 
you know, physical. I, I've said this a lot, but like, you know, Jason Robertson's obviously the brother of Nick Robertson, who these fans are pretty familiar with. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't play anything alike. They're not similar statures. They're not similar players. Mm-hmm. Right? Robertson is, is much more of a power forward. He, he, is, he is significantly bigger and more physically developed than Nick. Yes. And um, he had 79 points last year, 41 goals. He was part of a remarkable Dallas Stars line of uh, Robertson, Rupe Hintz, and Joe Pavelski. And uh, uh, Evan Oppenheimer, who's like a, a hockey Twitter presence and uh, sage, described Dallas as being a one-line team and it's the wrong line. And that description has stayed with me because that line was a legit NHL first line. And the issue is that they're playing, uh, paying Tyler Sagan and Jamie Benn to be that first line, and they're not that anymore. Yes. Yeah. In Robertson's case, though, as you say, he's 23, he's an RFA, he doesn't have arbitration rights. This now feels like the time where you really work at it, but you want to come out of this with a term deal for him. Absolutely. And I think basically any term deal that you give Jason Robertson is going to be fine. Yeah. Like, Like he's not going to command 8 by 14 or something, but it's it's basically very hard to overpay him. Yes, like he's a guy worth investing in. Um, right. Now, Jake Ottinger is also really interesting. He's a goaltender. He has been basically league average over the course of his very young career, but had a phenomenal series against the Flames last year. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, you know, we often don't, we often sort of like discount playoff stats and whatnot to, to some extent, especially for goaltenders. But, I mean, like with Ottinger, he, he's young enough that it's like, okay, like that. That's seven games. It's like not a trivial part of his sample, right? It's seven games against a good team with good talent. He kicked ass. Like that. That should like update you a little yeah. bit as to how good a, a, a goalie he is. What he's done at his age, again, also twenty three, is about as good a sign for future goalie performance as you can reasonably have, right? Like being a league average goaltender at this age is pretty cool. Yeah. But I think given the choice. I mean, I wouldn't mind going long on Ottinger either. It's always risky to do that with goaltenders, but like this is a way you could possibly capture a huge value if he like, you know, blooms into a Shesterkin light type player. You know, Shesterkin last year was phenomenal. Yeah. But it, you know, if you if you get someone who's like kind of always somewhat in the Vezina conversation, that's a really really good deal. Mm-hmm. But given that they have the constraint of not being able to go long on Robertson and Ottinger, I would prefer to go long on Ottinger, bridge, or sorry, prefer to go long on Robertson, bridge Ottinger, get a bit more sample on him, and then, and then go from there. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. Like, Dallas is always kind of in transition, it seems like. And yet, the, despite a run to the finals a couple years ago, which I don't think was representative of their real team quality, they just seem to be stuck in the middle. They're, they're, they can certainly be a playoff team. But they were last year. Yeah. And I expect more likely than not they will be again. But they're not a contender in my eyes. No, and they're they're pretty clearly not a contender. Again, this is one of those things where like I I think Dallas is like a reasonably good hockey market, but their attention will definitely falter if Dallas isn't if the stars aren't good. Yeah. Right? Um, you know, it, it's kind of a football mad state. The Cowboys are one of the biggest teams in the NFL. The Mavericks are a contender in the NBA who have one of the, like, maybe the best under-25 player in the world in Luka Doncic. Mm-hmm. Right? Again, you're competing for attention with those other two winner sports. 
Yeah, and it, it's worth noting, even if they did decide to do a rebuild, which they're not doing as a, as a good team, they're in a weird position because Sagan and Ben, I suspect, are untradeable right now. Or, yeah, you have to give up a yeah. lot. So, like, Sagan is he's only 30, but he's, like, an old 30, given how early he came into the league. Um, Pavelski is still actually really awesome and has defied yeah. aging up to his age 38 season to the extent that you would bet on any... 38-year-old the side of Patrice Bergeron to be a good player, you'd bet on Joe Pavelski. Yeah, and he's got one year um, left so, at five and a half, but it's like one... Yeah, which kind of works out yeah. okay, but, you know, you are going to lose him, and then, you know, you don't have his ability after that. Yeah. Um, and he has a no Sagan and Ben... <laughs> yes, yeah. Sagan and Ben have five and three more years, respectively, at, like, a lot of money that they are definitely not worth, mm-hmm. and that's sort of tricky to handle. I feel like you can't really trade them, as you said, so you just kind of live with them, and you live with this team on two timelines to wait for the old contracts to expire and then just build up from there. Yeah, like, it does feel like the stars are governed by the fact that they have, um, like, $19 million committed to these two players who aren't worth it. And it's like, then what do you do? And they've kind of tried to keep kicking at the can in the short term. But that's going to really hamstring them unless they either return to form or they get a ton of value out of young players. And they've done it once with Robertson. But um, I don't think that it it's quite adds up to enough. D- I, I yeah. would agree with that. Yeah. Um, the other thing I want to mention, we mentioned Rupe Hintz. Mm-hmm. He's on a good deal as well. It's only for a single season, though. And he's an RFA with Arbrights after that. So presumably, I assume they kind of say goodbye to Pavelski at 38. Yeah after the season and just kind of give his money to Hintz. Yeah. Which will be interesting because, like, Pavelski has been a big part of that line. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not like he's just sort of going off into the twilight. He will be a loss. Yes, exactly. Um, That's basically all I had on the stars. Remember, you know, talk about Miro Heiskanen if you want to sound clever. (laughs) Exactly. In all seriousness, he is is very good. No, he, he, like, uh, yeah, Heiskanen is, is, is really, really excellent. It reminds me a bit of, like, this is another NBA comparison, and I, I think Heisen will have a better rest of career than the player I'm going to compare when the NBA did. But, you know, there, there was a time in, like, the mid to late 2000s where Chris Paul and Darren Williams were, like, two up-and-coming point guards who were both, like, clearly really, really awesome, and everyone kind of agreed that, like, Chris Paul was, was better, but Darren Williams was, like, really good as well, yeah. right? But then, like, people had to argue to be concerned. It's like, you know, yeah, I think Darren Williams might actually be better than Chris Paul. And then everyone's like, no, he's not. He's really good, but just stop making this argument. Yeah. And that's kind of how I feel about Heisken and McCarthy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, although I do th- want to say Stars fans are very excited in some ways about Klingberg leaving because they think like, and they might be right, yeah. they would be more educated about this than I would, that like, okay, this is going to unleash like the offensive side of Miro Heiskanen. And Heiskanen is already like phenomenal defensively. So Yeah. I, I'll say this. This is maybe my personal bias talking. It's very rare that there's a defenseman where I'm like that excited about unleashing his offense in replacement of John Klingberg. Like, I don't think that there's a ton mm. of team upside there. Like, it'll be great for his counting stats if they use him more in an offensive role. But, like, are you that far ahead? I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. All right. The Detroit Red Wings. So, the Red Wings are, I mean, you kind of alluded to this earlier. They're just a team that's sort of building up. Um, they had some departures. Oli Levy signed with Anaheim, which we didn't mention because it was a year and a million or less than a million. Mm-hmm. Thomas Grice signed a year 1.5 million with St. Louis. Mark Stahl signed a year 750k with Florida. Basically, I'm saying this to point out they lost no one of significance. 
acquisition. So this is a trade. Um, Ville Husso, they traded a third round pick for his signing rights to St. Louis. Then they immediately signed him to a three years, 4.75 million. Husso has two years in the NHL. One was pretty bad. One was excellent. The excellent one was the one that happened last year. And this is basically like another Alex and Delkovich bet mm-hmm. that the Red Wings are making. Um, so they still have Delkovich for uh, about three million, I believe. And they're paying essentially $7.75 million for goaltending split between these two guys, Huso and Adelkovic, and hoping that at least one of them hits, and they'd probably prefer it to be Huso because they have him for a longer time. Um, both guys have, like, some record of NHL success and, like, somewhat iffy records prior to that. So, you know, there's a world where they both fall flat, but I think they're just kind of making a bet. It's like, okay, cool, we have two goalie prospects who have shown some ability to do well in the NHL. Let's see which one hits, if any of them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I think that that's basically fine from their perspective. It's just worth noting that, like, they haven't guaranteed themselves anything doing this. No, no, not even close. Yeah. Um, but, again, it's kind of a very clear marker of, like, okay, we are trying to be a good team now. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, we're, we're, we're trying to be a team that is, like, aiming to win games. Like, we're paying for a goaltender. Yeah. Right? Um, they also paid for Andrew Kopp. They signed him for five years, $5.625 million. Cop is a good player. Yeah. Um, this is maybe a little rich, and he should be productive for most of this contract. But it's it's just, it's like you look at it, and you're just like, oh, that's a little too much money for Andrew Cop. It feels like it, and Cop really kind of had a coming out party, I think, with the New York Rangers. Like he wasn't commanding this coming out of Winnipeg, which is mm-hmm. fine. You know, maybe he he showed more when he got the opportunity. That's totally all right. But it's like. I'm less confident that he is this caliber of player. Um, and, and, like, they presumably are expecting him to be 2C. Yeah, I mean, Comp is sort of interesting because he, he kind of plays all across the front line. In Winnipeg, he played left wing a lot because he played with Shifley and Eaters. Mm-hmm. Uh, in New York, I think he mostly played... Was he, was he their second line? He, he was, wouldn't have been their, set, their center because they had Zbanjad and Strong. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, he has a lot of versatility. He, I think he's going to play second-line center here. He's taken a bunch of face-off in his career. He, he's, he's played center before. Yeah. Um, and I think he's, like, a little lightweight as a 2C. Certainly to be a great team, but to be an average or okay team, maybe not. Mm-hmm. So he definitely makes the Red Wings better, especially in years 1-3. to three, And they have, like, a lot of ELCs right now uh, where they're capturing a ton of value. So, they you know, they don't care too much about these first couple years. They're not really in cap trouble. But it might kind of suck on the back end when they have when they get to like the point where they're clearly an average to a slightly above average team and they're like oh we need to add players yeah and you have andrew cop taking up you know five and a half million and not really providing that yeah I, I think that like a sneaky problem that the red wings have is that even though they've drafted a lot of good and interesting players they haven't drafted anyone who looks like a real threat to be a top six center um and so they've got Dylan Larkin, who is on the edge of being a 1C. He had a very, had a very good, good year last year. year. So if, if he does that again, fine. They're about to have to extend him, though, when he's going to cost a mint. Yes. And, and I mean, I think in a, in a perfect world, Dylan Larkin is like, if, if he's your second line center, you're a very, very deep at center yeah. team, sort of by definition. If he's your first line center, it's like, I kind of hope you have an elite winger. Yes. And that's kind of what they they need to hope for. I'm just, a lot of my reservations about the Red Wings are that they don't seem as strong at center, and I view center as being, you know, the primo position. Um, it's yeah, not I mean, bad. It's, it's, it's not, yeah. No. And like, certainly, if, like, I don't think, 
I think Larkin's better than Mika Zibanejad, for example, who is basically the one C mm. on, on New York, right? Yeah. But New York has Artemi Panarin and Igor Shosturkin, of course, right. and Adam Fox. Like, but there, there's something you could you can piece together like a facsimile of that, or you you can see if you're a Red Wings fan, okay, you know Raymond's going to be our Panarin, Sider's going to be our Fox. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, one of Huso or Nedeljkovic can be close to like providing positive value as a goaltender, if even if they won't be Shosturkin. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's that. That anyways, that's the cop acquisition. Like, clearly, a, a move attempting to just improve their their forward depth which was really bad last mm-hmm. year they were just playing a lot of guys who really shouldn't have been playing that many minutes in the nhl mm-hmm. another guy who does that is david perron two years 4.75 million he has just been a good ass player for a long time and at, even at age 34 i think he's basically worth this deal i think that people maybe don't realize just how productive david perron has been for like five years it's because he's basically always been on Western teams, and the one time he was on an Eastern team, he like immediately he wasn't very good in Pittsburgh, and then immediately got swapped for Carl Hagelin. Yeah, in a deal that that one of the underrated win-win deals of of like the last ten years. Yeah, like it's kind of fascinating, isn't it? But he's actually like he's kind of bloomed into being a really good player. Like he hit a uh, a high in his career of sixty-six points with Vegas um, mm-hmm. when he was about thirty, and yes, since then. He's been basically at a 60-point or better pace. I remember one time I did a like a mock Team Canada roster, and my joke was, you can sort Canadian forwards by points and pick the top 12 names, and you've made a competitive Olympic team because Canada is that <laughs> stacked. Perron was one of the 12 guys, which I don't know that people would have recognized, and like every other name was like a star. So, <laughs> yeah, like he's a, he's a good player. He will help them, even if you're thinking, okay... Age will come for him maybe tomorrow. Right. Like, there's always a risk at age 34. Yeah. But, I mean, I guess it helps in some... He's ne- I don't think he's ever really been a burner. Mm-hmm. But he's always been pretty good defensively due to his size, his physicality, slash dirtiness. He is a low-key dirty player. Um, he is a talented shooter. That that helps. You know, like, the hands are the last thing to go. We've seen that with Jason Spezza, for example. Um. His, his, yeah, his offensive ability, as you said, has, has stayed honestly quite s- consistent since he, they like, kind of bloomed. Mm-hmm. And his ability to drive play has been quite solid as well. So it, it, I think this is actually just a good deal. Yeah. I, I like this deal for, for Detroit. It, it's short term. It's like, okay, cool. We have, we have some players who can give support to Larkin, to Bertuzzi, to, to, to Raymond. Yeah, it's, it's worth... Uh, to, to Verona as well. I, we probably didn't mention this, but they acquired Jakob Verona last yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. And I think that was yeah, a good deal. In a trade for um, Anthony Mazza. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. And then Kubalik is, I mean, what do you say? Yeah. I mean, you talked about him with Chicago two years, two and a half. Uh, I don't, I don't love this, but it, it's hard for it to be a bad deal Yeah, because it, it's so short. So it, it's, it's, that's, it's sort of whatever. It's pretty mad to me. Oli Mata, one year, 2.25. It's a weak defense market. It's not straight up bad. But, like, I guess, I don't know. I think I was negative on this at first, and then I looked into it more and thought about it more. It's like, okay, well, I mean, if, if Mata is, like, kind of a below average second pair of defensemen, then that's sort of what you would expect, two, 2.25. That's not bad. Mm-hmm. Um, Mark Pissick, a year, 850K. Uh, Oak Leafs is very happy about this. Um, <laughs> no, it's totally offside. Oh, totally yeah. offside. I'm so, I'm so okay. sorry. I'm so Leafs sorry. Yes. Totally offside listens to us, so we're, we hear you, Todd. We're sorry. We'll never disrespect your boy again. <laughs> yes, yeah. He's, he, he is still around to be a bottom-pairing defenseman and score a hat-trick on the Leafs in a game where he plays the forward. Uh, and now we get to... I, I put this one last, but not because it's more, less significant than the other ones, because this is going to take up more discussion. 
uh, Ben Sherratt four years, 4.75. And basically, without this deal, I would feel so much better about Detroit's offseason. Yeah. I think this is like not as bad as Good Branson, but it's not far off. Yeah. Um, it, it's just like, I just do not think Sherratt is worth this much money, you know, at all. Uh, I don't think he was amazing in Florida. Mm-hmm. I think they overpaid for him to acquire him. And then I think a team is overpaying him again um, just on the basis of the fact that he has, you know, he's the prototypical look for a good defenseman. But I, th- I think, I just think he's not quite as good as, as people think he is, right? Like, he, he doesn't drive play particularly well. He's a liability with the puck on his stick. He's not that mobile. I mean, like, p- people say, you know, uh, Montreal was like a disaster last year. So, you know, his numbers aren't great. But it's like, well, they're a disaster in part because they don't have good players and they're playing Ben Sherrod a lot. Yeah. And, you know, it's not like on the Detroit Red Wings, he's going to be in a position to get carried very much. Um, yeah. This is kind of where I come at. Okay. Detroit clearly got a lot better this offseason, I think. Yes. Actually, I think in, in Dom Lushishin's model, they were like the team that improved the most in terms of wins. Part of that is just they spent for a bunch of guys. Yeah, they were, for the record, the number one team. And this is what you can do when you're coming out of a rebuild. You have a ton of cap space. They still have cap space um, because you've kind of cleared the decks. Not a lot of dud contracts coming um, lingering around. All they had really left was the Justin Abdelkader buyout. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, like this is a kind of a surge move. Um, to try and take a leap up the standings it's and you know they have to do it at some point and i respect that and even if they don't make the playoffs this year that's okay you know you it's not like you go bad 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 stanley cup it's there are transition years where you have to start getting better the thing that gives me pause this team was dog shit defensively last year Mm -hmm. and it was more insider kind of heroically hanging on for dear life, and then a bunch of, frankly, bad defensemen. What did they do to fix that? They signed Ben Chirot, and then Oli Mata, who's like, I guess, but I don't think he's going to fix it for you. No, I mean, I think Mata can survive on a second pairing. Yeah. Ideally with someone better next to him, but I don't know that they have that. <laughs> I, I don't think that they do. Um, You know, they have Simon Edvinson in the system, who's supposed to be a good prospect, but... You have to be careful expecting prospects to really come in and be difference makers in their first year. Moritz Sider is exceptional. And so he sets a bar that's very hard to meet. I think this team improved its top six, although I have question marks at center. But I think that this was a really bad defense group that needed to take a bigger step. So I don't think they're a playoff team again. I mean... No, I, 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 definitely, I definitely don't think they're a playoff team. I mean, I think, I think they'll be like more competitive. Sure, sure. yeah. And... and... Again, like if 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 Huso repeats his last season, that gives them like a net benefit of like quite a few goals already. But yeah, like it's 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 not amazing, and again, it's still a rough division. Like I think Ottawa sort of leapfrogged them. Yeah, um, I think it's at least an open question. Also, I think okay, Steve Eiserman is a good GM. He's done smart things. You can point to moves like especially picking Moritz Sider. That looks brilliant. Um. I have a certain amount of respect for his abilities. No general manager is perfect. And I look at this offseason and I'm like, this is okay. But I'm not actually that impressed with it. There's there's no deal where I'm like, oh, wow, that that is going to like definitely pay dividends for them. Yeah. 
I guess Piran is the closest thing to that. Yeah. And the I, I forget if the Verona trade was Iserman, if he was it there. Was two, him, I, I it misspoke. Was, it, it was two years yeah, ago. It, not it was last a coup year. for him. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, he, he those are, are his calling cards. And again, he's not been bad or whatever. It's just no, like this off he's a good GM. But sort of like, media. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's not like, I don't see anything here where I'm like, this is a genius move that elevates Detroit to almost certainly a playoff team. They're like a an outside yes. chance. That's it. Right. So... They still have, as you alluded to, 10 million in space, some of which will disappear when they re-sign Larkin, presumably, and Bertuzzi. Tyler Bertuzzi is also, I think, in the last year of his deal. Mm-hmm. And just summarizing what we said, yeah, I agree with what they, the idea of what they're doing, but not so much the execution. And of course, execution is the hard part. It's easy to say, oh, go sign this guy, yeah. or that guy might not want on to. Oh, yeah, we're saying um, right. Larkin and Bertuzzi are still signed for this year, for the record. They don't have to sign Oh, yes, yes, way, yes. But, but in the future. Yes, yeah. yeah, extensions, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, they should also probably get an upgrade behind the bench. Yeah, from uh, Derek Lalonde. From Blashill. Yeah, Blashill just... It felt like Eisman was just like, I'm going to just keep Blashill there until I get someone I really want and take seriously. And now I guess this is the time. So Derek Lalonde mm-hmm. um, supposedly is going to come in and uh, radically revise the whole situation. A lot of Red Wings fans I know really hated <laughs> Jeff Blashill. Well, I mean, they did give up, like, I don't know seven goals like 12 times last year or something absurd like that and so i got that, that sort of frustration i can see that they were up. A, they were a bad team man. like lucas raymond and moritz sider being really really good maybe clouded a little bit of fact that this was a bad fucking team and even though they're going to be better mm-hmm. there's a long way to go it is um philip zedin is also an rfa uh, just kind of looks like a draft miss right yeah. now and like not claiming any any hindsight here because i thought he was going to be good oh yeah, yeah. me too yeah um, we could also discuss the Robbie Fabry extension, which was midseason. Yeah. Looks kind of meta average. He's been better in theory than in practice, and he's been like injured a little bit. Needs to finish well to be worth his mm-hmm. deal. It's always one of those guys who I think has looked better to my eye test than has shown well on the stats. Because yeah. I think he, he's quite dynamic with the puck on his stick, but it just hasn't really translated. Yeah, fair enough. Okay. Uh, Edmonton Oilers. Yes. So, departures. Um, Loss at Cashin in the trade discussed above. He's uh, making $3.2 million for two more years in Arizona uh, to do what? To command the tank, basically. <laughs> God bless him. Acquisitions. I mean, this was not an acquisition so much. This is an extension. Uh, and this was actually, like, not this offseason. It was prior to this offseason, but we never discussed it before, so let's discuss it now. Uh, Darnell Nurse. Eight years, $9.25 million. Yeah, and I... You know... <sighs> yikes yeah like he's good he's not worth that at all sorry and like i'm sorry the big rule of having connor mcdavid on your team is remember who is connor mcdavid and who is just playing with connor mcdavid i think that edmonton has forgotten that again and again and again they forgot it was zach cassian i think they forgot it with darnell nurse and i think that they have this deal that's probably two or three million dollars over market in terms of what he would actually be worth in the abstract. Pretty much. Um, Nurse had like a hot finishing year, which is totally at odds with the rest of his career. He got paid and then reverted to who he was the whole time, which is like a solid above average defenseman. He has good mobility for his size. He has good physical tools. Doesn't quite have the on-puck dynamism or puck skills to like become, you know, a truly elite offensive defenseman. And doesn't really have the elite stick or defensive news to be one of the best defensive defensemen. He's a good defenseman, but he's just not an elite defenseman, and they're paying him like he's an elite defenseman based on shooting percentage that I don't think he's going to repeat, or even if he does repeat, I wouldn't expect him to continue to repeat. Yeah, and like, the thing, the argument is probably that when he's on the ice with Connor McDavid, 
his results look sort of like a top flight number one defenseman. And this is, uh, to be completely fair, this is a similar argument that we have made with Morgan Riley. Yeah. Um, and Morgan Riley makes a lot less money. <laughs> yeah. And I think Morgan Riley is like a little better than Darren Owners mm-hmm. and makes less money. And I'm still not happy with Morgan Riley's deal. Yeah. You know, again, like I, I don't want to sandbag it, but like the Edmonton Oilers made a run to the conference finals this past year because Connor McDavid played like God. Like, I know that this seems reductive. I'm not saying that they don't have any other worthwhile players. But the reality is, Ken Holland has not done a hell of a lot with the fact that he has the greatest gift imaginable. And Connor McDavid can basically win you playoff series by himself. If you're going to contend, you have to stop doing shit like this. Like giving Zach Cassian extra money. Like giving Darnell Nurse. Like, you're destroying away money in fistfuls of two or three million dollars a pop and then you look around and say hey why does our team suck ass every time connor and leon are off anyway and that's still a problem for them uh, unbelievably i also I, I i misspoke i think i said this nurse extension was like last season it was like last off season so we might have discussed it depending on our timing of this pod last year but i, I didn't remember discussing it anyways it's a fun chance to laugh at edmonton <laughs> so i'm not going to miss that um um, yeah. They signed Yessi Pugliarvi, a year of $3 million. People in Edmonton seem perpetually mad at what Pugliarvi isn't, as opposed to what he is. He's kind of an everything but the Finnish player. But I'm... Uh, get it? He's I Finnish? Do, you know what? I do get it. That's good. It's a thinker, that one. It, it took me a second, but I got there. Thank you. Yeah. Mm. And, um, so, I mean, an everything but the Finnish player actually isn't that bad an idea to have on a Connor McDavid team because it's like okay just play him with one of our two <laughs> elite shooters cool problem solved um so you can stomach his inability to score a little bit I think it's a good deal for this year like certainly it's a good deal for this year but I think it raises questions about like I don't think they're gonna keep him long term they they apparently tried to trade him this offseason or at least like because the Edmonton media is basically a mouthpiece for the organization and yeah. when they all... You always know exactly what Edmonton is thinking at all times. <laughs> yeah, like, when they all start saying, boy, we gotta trade Jesse Puglia-Yarvi, that probably means that they are thinking about it, that the org is a bit low on him. So, you know, maybe he has a surge year. But I I wouldn't be buying real estate of any great value in Edmonton if I were him. So. Yeah. Um, And... Oh, is there anything... Oh, yeah, so um, they also signed Kyler Yamamoto, two years, 3.1 million... Solid player, solid contract. Would help them a lot if Yamamoto like really took it the next step. Uh, he's one of the few opportunities they have to like yeah. kind of get significant upside from here because he is still quite young. I like Yamamoto a Go lot ahead. as a complimentary player. It's just when he came in, he mm-hmm. looked like he might even be a little bit more than that. And he's kind of... He had a crazy hot start. Yes. I think in his rookie year with like playing with Dreisaitl. Yeah. Uh, 26 points in 27 games when he first came in. Yeah. And last year, you know, he was a 40-point player. Like, that. there's nothing wrong with Yamamoto. He's good. It's just... No. It, it would help them a lot if he elevated, as you've said. For sure. Um, Matthias Janmark, one year, 1.25 million. One um, solid depth defensive winger. He can take face-offs. He's become a winger, more or less, because his face-offs are really bad. Um, <laughs> like, he, he, he's a terrible face-off. He's like 40% in the dot. That's at the um, point where they won't let you keep doing it. Exactly. Yeah. The owners, as we, as we said, have still struggled without their top players on the ice. Jan Mark gives them a competitive, competent NHL body to throw out there while McDavid and Dreisaitl are resting. And that's kind of what they need, really. Like, they're always going to be a top-heavy lineup, and 
so be it. It's just you want guys who are going to keep the ship from sinking. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I think this is exactly the signing they should be like making very consistently. Yep. Um, Evander Kane is the next one. Four years, five point one two five million. So I guess like one of the main questions here really is: Is Kane going to wear out his welcome here, as he seems to have done in basically every other spot he's been in the NHL? Yeah, like Kane's at the point now where some of the things he's accused of, you know, like very severe assault um, and stuff like that. It's, it, it feels weird even evaluating as a hockey player, but the Oilers yeah. signed him for hockey purposes um, and clearly without much uh, second thinking about his, his moral qualities, but just evaluating it on that basis, still you have to note that he's, as you say, worn out his welcome everywhere he's gone. Um, there's a reason why a player of his caliber has moved around so much. And I, I think, unfortunately, you, you know, it, it speaks to some pretty horrible behavior off the ice that he's been accused of. Uh, yeah. And I mean, like hockey locker rooms are not, it, it's not the most judging place in the world, frankly. Yeah. Like I, I, I think a lot of his locker rooms would have kind of been okay if he, was someone who did the things he was accused of if he was also just, like, not a dick to them generally. Yeah, I mean, that that's the ugly truth, is that he's also capable of pissing people off. And for the longest time, you know, I think a lot of people were reluctant to credit the reports of it because um, Kane is black, and obviously there's a ton of racism around hockey. <laughs> and so, you know, people were like, okay, there's a lot of this, uh, this crap that gets thrown at non-white players. We don't want to... To participate in that, I think with Kane, it's it's become clear that he is just kind of a prick. Yeah. Um, anyway, as a player, he was effective for Edmonton. He's a very good yeah. fit with Connor McDavid. I mean, like even more so than most players would be. Like Kane has incredibly good speed. He's not really a good play tra- uh, play driver, but he doesn't have to be because he's playing with Connor McDavid. Yeah. He is a phenomenally dangerous rush player. He is a you know his gunning tendencies in terms of how much he shoots is like actually really, really beneficial. The fact that he gets to the net is really beneficial. He played well with McDavid. I'd expect that to continue. Yeah. Um, aging could make this bad, but the Oilers should kind of be looking to win the cup every single year for the next few years. Yeah. And also this is not as expensive as I expected this deal to be, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And I, again, you have to wonder if other factors reduce the price. Yes. Um, um, oh, one thing I want to know before I move on to Jack Campbell, who we'll briefly discuss, yeah. but under Woodcroft, um, the Oilers were actually better without McDavid and Dreisaitl on the ice than I gave them credit for. Like they were, they were sort of, mm-hmm. they were below average by XG, which is like fine because that's your bottom six by yeah. definition. They were probably going to be below average, but they only lost goals like twenty-eight to thirty-one, which is like not bad at all, really. You'll and like expected that, sure. goals were like, like, yeah, like twenty-eight to thirty. So that was like basically in line with that. So if, if you get slightly outscored without McDavid and Dreisaitl on the ice, you're a good team. So yeah, I, I think. They, they honestly were a much better team under Woodcroft than under Tippett. Yeah, okay. So, like, yeah, and then we talked about Jack Campbell uh, kind of extensively. Yes. Um, you know. Yeah, five years, five mil. Um, don't really love this deal for the reasons we discussed yeah. at, at that point. You know, they're, they're, they're making a big bet on, on, on Campbell. Yeah. So, like, where does that leave Edmonton overall? They're a good team, probably not a great team, but they have the best player in the game and another top five forward so that carries them a long way they do kind of have to do pretty well in the near future because the rnh deal and the nurse deal are not going to age well yeah this team should be trying to contend every year right now i think that they are in these nhl's kind of second tier 
Like, mm-hmm. probably somewhere in that 5 to 12 bracket. Um, just if... I think they're closer to the top of that than the bottom. But yeah? yeah, okay. Um, it's also, like, they have to remember, their power play is just always going to be yes. elite. Yeah, and well. it's guaranteed. The other thing is, they're in the Pacific Division. If Calgary vacates the throne by declining a little bit in the loss of Kachuk, and if Vegas can't figure out what it's doing and can't get sufficiently healthy, because Vegas was submarine by injuries last year, Edmonton can win that division and doesn't necessarily run into a really good team before the conference finals, as they did this past year. So... I think Calgary was a good team. I think Calgary was a a very good team. I should say, I'm saying projecting forward. Yeah, going forward. Um, So, yeah, like, they're not in a terrible position. And, look, I've given Ken Holland kind of a hard time, I think rightly, but he's also made some deals that have worked out well enough. He's the requirement for that job was almost don't be a disaster like Peter Chiarelli was. Yeah, and... I, I was gonna say it's just like you get a lot of equity just by not by avoiding like jumping into giant holes in the ground. Yeah, he's he's been like a mediocre GM, and that might hold them back from a championship, which you really ought to win at some point with Connor McDavid. But it's you know they'll they'll hang around, they'll compete, they very well might win the Pacific, and then we'll see. Mm-hmm. All right, the Florida Panthers, who we, I guess, decide, d- discussed you know parts yeah. of their offseason indirectly already in some ways. Um, departures, Jonathan Huberto, as as we discussed, Mackenzie Weger, as we discussed in that big trade. Yeah. Oh, baby, let's discuss this from the Florida perspective. Ooh, yeah. I, I probably, Go ahead, go ahead. I love it from Florida's perspective, even though, mm, as too. a contending team, they're worse this year. It's a rare time they're where that's good. Almost, yeah. They're almost certainly worse this year. Um, simply because, you know, giving up Uyghur and Huberto for Kachuk is like a total win long term. But for a single season, you're giving up two good players for one great player. Yeah. But, right? So even though Kachuk's the most valuable player there, you know, Florida loses out on that. Especially because their defense isn't that deep anyways. Yeah, exactly. Like, like they'll miss Uyghur. It was always the weak spot. Especially if yeah. Ekblad's... You know, when he plays, Ekblad is great, but his health is always a bit iffy. Um, mm-hmm. They survived Ekblad missing a lot of time over the past few years, partly because Wigar could hold the fort, and now there's not necessarily anyone there to do it. Um, yes. But that said, mm-hmm. uh, like, Kachuk signed eight years, 9.5 after this. Uh... No, it, it starts this year. I stand corrected. But starting this year, starting at age 24. For a guy who's yeah, like a that's, top top player, um, that's a phenomenal deal. Yeah. Their 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 long term situation might be the best in the NHL. Yeah, because they've just got Barkov and Kachuk, both really good mid twenties, signed for term, reasonable AAVs, rocking. So that's all. That all helps the fact that they are probably going to get worse. Yeah, as we said, and not just because of Wegar and Huberto out, because they also lost a couple of other guys. Yes, they lost Claude Giroux, deadline acquisition, who they couldn't mm-hmm. keep. They lost Ben Chirot. Probably doesn't make them that much no. worse, honestly. <laughs> that's fine. Um, they lost Mason Marchment, yeah. though, as we talked about with Dallas. So I think that's actually like kind of a big loss. Um, they lost Noel Chari and Marcus Ntivara. Those are relatively yeah. minor. Um, in terms of acquisitions, so we talked about Kachuk. He's a phenomenal player. We, don't, we probably don't need to discuss it again. He, he's still a phenomenal player, like he was an hour ago when we talked about Calgary. <laughs> yeah. Um, they signed Rudolph's Balsers for one year, 750K. And we normally don't discuss, you know, one year minimum contracts, yeah. but Balsers should have been more expensive than that. Mm-hmm. 
he's young. He's 25. He has a track record of above average play in his career. I don't really know why the Sharks bought him out. Like, again, this is one of those things where it's just like, maybe he smells or maybe he's like annoying or maybe they just don't like him. But like, I would have thought he had non-zero trade value on his on his old deal, which I don't think was that expensive. No, I I don't know. Yeah, I mean, this is the exactly the kind of bet that you make. And as we've said, the Panthers have done quite well on, on cheapy bets. Uh, we've given Cal Dubas credit for shopping well in the bargain bin in the past. I think Florida also rightly deserves credit for that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they're 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 in a in a very good spot. Um, they signed Mark Stahl, one year, seven fifty k. Only mentioned because that was basically their only one of their only defensive acquisitions. Not a great Uyghur replacement. Michael Delzato, one year, seven fifty k. Not a great Uyghur replacement. Yeah. So their their defense is like pretty eh. Yeah, like. We said, I remember last year we were evaluating the Atlantic Division midseason, and we said, this team has a big blinking light at second line, uh, sorry, at second defense pairing, saying we need to upgrade here. And their upgrade was Ben Sherratt, pretty dubious, did not save them in the playoffs from getting absolutely pantsed by the Lightning. Um, now Sherratt's gone, and they've added these two third pair-ish guys. And you do wonder about the defense here. Um, as much as I laud the Kachuk deal, which I think is brilliant, I still look at this defense group and think that this uh, this is dicey. Right. Like, who, who's going to be on their top pairing now besides, next to Ekblad? Yeah. Like, I I mean, looking at him. Do they play Forsling? God, that... But, like, you know, they, they played, like, Forsling Gudis was their second pair. I assumed it was going to be Brandon last year. Tour, but that's not great either. No. So, like, there, there's an obvious problem there, yeah. right? And then the other, one of the big things Florida has going for them is like they basically don't have any really bad contracts for skaters. Yeah. Um, Hornfist is not a great contract, but there's one year left, 5.3 million. That's fine. That's not like, that's not killing you because Hornfist is still a pretty useful mm-hmm. player. But you, they do have Sergei Bobrovsky. Yes. And the Bobrovsky contract and, is kind of an albatross, even if he returned to form a little bit last year. Yes. So. That is still kind of the elephant in the room, so to speak. They have some dead money from Keith Yandel this year. That expires. Despite the Bobrovsky do, I think they are probably the team in best position for future success. Like, if you ask me, like, who gets the most points over the next five seasons, I think my first pick is Florida. That's that's reasonable. I, I, would, I would put it this way. If you give me wash goaltending between Toronto and Florida, which is assuming a lot, but like, let's, you know, it's not the craziest thing in the world for Murray and Samsonov to match Bobrovsky and Knight. I think Toronto finishes ahead of them. But mm-hmm. with a lot of contenders, we're talking about the time bombs that, that they've got ticking. You know, like, oh, this player is going to get old. This player is going to come up for a pricey contract extension. This player is going to do yada, yada, yada. Florida has a bit of that, but they have remarkably yeah, I mean... little for a player for a team of their caliber. Honestly, there's like no one who I consider critically important to this team who expires next year. Yeah. The, I, the closest is like two years from now. They have Sam Reinhardt expiring, Duclair expiring, Forsling expiring. Those aren't, but like those are like those. Fine. That's that's still not. Those are still their second tier players. Like even if you get to Verhage, that's three years out. Yeah, and like Ekblad right. is in three years. But like that, yeah. this means like they they can keep kind of churning through some stuff um, and, and making it work for the foreseeable future. Um, the biggest danger I think they're going to face, and it won't be next offseason, it'll be the offseason after, is like, which of these guys is indispensable and which of these guys can we just replace with some other guy? Yeah, and that that's a tricky decision, right? You've, you've got to watch that churn. And we saw 
uh, Chicago fall down at that stage of the proceedings towards the end of their dynasty, giving up on guys like Teravainen. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The other thing is that um, the Panthers are over the cap right now. Now, I don't know if they'll be able to resolve that in the short term because Duclair is going to be injured for the first few months. Yes. Um, he, he had, it's a pretty bad injury too, isn't it? I, Was it an ACL or something? Yeah, or it, it's the kind of thing where he's not going to recover until probably the second half of the season, which is too bad because yeah. he finally seemed to be like after a kind of an itinerant early career, he got a really good chance in Ottawa. They didn't keep him. He signed with Florida, and, and he's been great for Florida. So, Yeah, so I mean, if they LTIR him, that bait, that almost solves everything for them, and then they they just probably run a 21-man roster, and like if they demote, I don't know, Ryan Lomberg, yeah. right? Or, I, I, like, I don't know, they could probably get out of Colin White's contract yeah. pretty easy. They're, they're in the range where I'm like, I'll, I'll trust that they'll, they'll figure it out. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, so the LA Kings are next. Um, so the Kings had a relatively quiet offseason. Most of the, the remaining teams had a pretty quiet offseason, actually. Yeah. Uh, Andreas Athanasiou left to be, I guess, the number one left wing in Chicago. <laughs> um, Troy no, Stetcher left is to... No, like, we're not even kidding anymore. I, I think that's actually true. Yeah, no, I think it uh-huh. might be. I, I forget what wing he plays, but yeah. Oh my god. Um, <laughs> Troy Stetcher went to Arizona. Olimata went to Detroit, as we said. None of these are, like, huge deals. The Kings have, like, an absolute army of ELC guys who can step into these roles pretty easily. Mm-hmm. Um, re-signings. They retained Brendan Lemieux for a year, 1.35, uh, after training for him last year. I mean, it, it's... He had a better, um, most recent season than people probably would expect because people think, oh, Brendan Lemieux, he's the fighter. He kind of yeah. sucks. And I think that's like mostly true, but he was like useful last year. And this is a fine okay. year. Um, Alex Edler, defense depth one year, basically league men. Carl Grundstrom, two years, 1.3 million. Maybe you could find a league men guy to replace him, but I'm, I'm sort of fine mm-hmm. with that. Uh, Adrian Kempe, four years, five and a half million. So this is like a bigger money acquisition. And this sort of just depends on Kempe's defense. His offense has been good as he's progressed in his career, and it's kind of always been there. The defense has kind of gotten worse as his time on ice has improved. Mm. So if he develops on that, it's a good deal. If he doesn't, then it's like kind of below average. Every time we play the Los Angeles Kings, I think, boy, Adrian Kempe is a dangerous player. He's very fast. He's Mm. very talented. And so I have... As a pretty good shot too from what i remember he, he's a complete threat in my opinion uh offensively and so i have some eye test bias in his favor on this one but yeah it's it's not nothing you know that's that's a uh second line winger deal basically and you want him to certainly be winning his minutes at that price yes so like the offense is there it's just like will he give it all back right defensively Right, and I guess I mean in the interim, you can probably insulate some of that just by playing him with Anse Kopitar a little bit. But, yeah, you know that's not like a long-term solution, and it, 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 you know, you don't want to pay a guy league average and say, oh, we can scheme around his his issues. You just want to say, no, you know, for the money I'm paying, he should just like kind of yeah. drive stuff on his own. Um, the big acquisition for the Kings was Kevin Fiala. So they acquired his signing rights for number 19 overall, which is a Liam Ogren. And then signed him to a seven-year, $7.875 million deal. That is big money for Kevin Fiala. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think he's worth it. He is really good. He is a great, great passer. Very shifty with the puck. Really big shot volume and good finishing. Kind of quite complete offensive player. He is small, but he is very thick. Um, 
is hard to knock off the puck. So he's kind of a, a possession beast as a result. He, he holds onto the puck a lot. He kind of just bounces off guys. You know, like Marner kind of like slithers around guys. It's like he's covered in WD-40, whereas like Fiata just kind of bounces off him because he's, he's so mm -hmm. strong. Um, he, he's only meh on defense, but the offense, in my opinion, is like pretty strong and is clearly worth the deal alone. And I know this is what a lot of fans would be thinking. He did not play with Kirill Kaprizov much last year. So he's not getting carried as far as we can tell. Yes. Yeah, I, I mean, I think Fiala has shown that he's a great player and, and has been for a while. Uh, and Los Angeles had their kind of step forward season. The season that Los Angeles had last year is the kind of season that Detroit and Ottawa are hoping to have this year, where they mm -hmm. step forward, are competitive, maybe even a surprise playoff appearance as, as LA yes. managed it, to have. And yeah. yeah, and it was aided by the weak yes. division. Um, and Vegas dying. Yeah, and like Vegas, I don't think anyone foresaw that, so. No. Yeah, um, definitely on board with that. I like uh, the acquisition of talent. The biggest thing, really the only thing hanging over Los Angeles is that Drew Doughty contract. Right, and this has gotten better yeah. since when we last did this, because Doughty had a reasonable last season. Mm -hmm. Is he worth his contract? No. Nope. Um, not even close. But it's like, you know, it gives you a bit more hope, and it looks like way less dire than it did a year ago. Um, Kopitar is, again, still probably not worth his deal, but he's still clearly quite good. And one reason I like the Fiala acquisition quite a bit is because this is sort of a bridge between Kopitar and Byfield, in a way. Of like, okay, we have, you know, this old offensive star and this new guy who we think is going to be our center of the future. And if to be clear, if Byfield does not become like an elite center, the Kings are like kind of struggling to make to get to contention, in my opinion, unless they sign Austin Matthews in a few years. That's my fear. Yeah, um, they, they kind of really need Byfield to blow up because you know when you pick second overall, you kind of need the person who you pick to be really yeah. really good. That that's not unique to the Kings, and it's not anything they did wrong, or it's not anything wrong with Byfield. It's just like there's a lot of expectation placed on him, and he has to live up to that. Um, but getting a player like Fiala can help, you know, bridge that gap between Kopitar declining and Byfield developing. And they have a bunch of other good offensive players too, like Victor Arvidsson. Trevor Moore has blossomed into a, into a pretty useful player himself as yeah. well. I, yeah. Well, one other thing, I don't know if we mentioned, Fiala did just turn 26, by the way. So yes. like the term risk on this deal is not scary. Um, as these yeah. things go. He was in the same draft as William Nienander, I believe. Uh, 2014? 2014 yeah, he was. Pick. You're correct. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, like, lots to like here. Really, it's just that the Doughty contract is $11 million for five more years. And, mm -hmm. and that's a bit of a clouding factor. And as you say, they do need to hit, um, to some extent, on the byfield pick. Or they need a lot of other things to line up for them. But this looks like a team yeah. that's broadly trending in the right direction, despite a couple of flaws. Yes, and they'll also get a benefit, like, when, when Jonathan Quick expires after this mm -hmm. season... That'll, that'll help him out. That's the end of the 11 years of our goaltending being better than yours contract. Yes. Um, and, I mean, Doughty, it's always possible he gets LTIR'd. Yeah. I should actually note that Cal Peterson, who they signed to replace Quick, uh, three, mm -hmm. he has three years left at $5 million. He actually didn't have a great year last year. But, uh, well, yeah. they'll hope that works out. Yep. Okay. Um, Minnesota Wild. This is convenient. Biggest departure. Kevin yeah. Fiala. <laughs> He's gone, and they will miss him because they get worse. But yeah, the Wild were so the Wild had a really quiet offseason. Um, they were kind of boxed into this due to their cap issues. The 
buyouts of Parise and Suter are like really onerous this season. I think it's like 15 million this season. It, it is or something uh, like that. Yeah, let me bring it up. It's just oh, no, it's, it's short of 13. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a lot. And it's like this for the next 3 seasons. Yeah. Next year it's worse. It's yeah, it's 4 it's yes. 14 six for the two seasons after this one. Man, I don't know about those buyouts. I said this at the time. I, I'm I like, I don't know about this at all. I, I remember reading some like wild fans who were like very insistent that like no, actually the bios were the right way to do things. And I'm like, okay, I mean, I. It was like the I, <laughs> the meme is like, I ain't reading all that. I'm happy for you though, or sorry that it happened. Yeah, I'm sorry. You have like, and I guess you could say like, look, we had bloated. Yeah, they, they, it's clearly making up for other mistakes yeah, elsewhere. But like. But like, yeah, it's just like they, they were more invested in that side of the discussion than I was I'm like, OK, sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to dispute whether they could have avoided this. They they, they had these Parise suitor contracts that were going to be a problem one way or the yeah, other. I, I guess so. But yeah, I don't love this buyout at all. Anyway, whatever. That's their problem. Yeah, I mean, like the, regardless of whether it was the right way to do things or not, they were in cap trouble and they had to get rid of Kevin Fiata. The thing is, unlike the Blue Jackets who were in cap trouble and had to get rid of, you know, a player who, who was pretty good. The Wild don't really have other bad contracts. They're like, oh, why, I would have paid an asset to get, to get off of that deal. Mm. Right? Like, their other contracts are all quite solid. So this was actually probably just the most convenient option. And it just kind of sucks that it got to that point. Um, in any case. Yeah. Like, this is so, a good team. Yeah. It, no, it's a good team. They didn't get much return for Fiata, but they, they had no leverage. Yeah. So if, they, if Liam Ogren, who's picked 19th, I think, becomes a good player, then that, that's helpful. Um, Cam Talbot also left. Uh, he went, signed, I, oh no, sorry, he was traded to Ottawa for Philip Gustafson. Um, so this is like a downgrade in terms of your backup goaltender, basically. Yeah. Um, but like, Talbot was pretty shit last year, so, yeah. you know, it doesn't really matter. Like, it's, I guess it's a downgrade in terms of how you expect them to do. Like, how, how would they have done with Talbot versus how would they do with, um, uh, Gustafson mm-hmm. is like probably a loss, but like Gustafson might easily do better than Talbot did last year. Yeah, that's for sure. They also lost Nick Delorier, who signed a four-year, one point seven five million dollar deal in Detroit, and that is again AAV, not total contract. Um, so we will laugh about that when we talk about Philadelphia. Yeah, Philadelphia is going to be a but, fun segment. <laughs> yes. Um, acquisitions. Philip Gustafson. That's basically yeah. it. They really didn't do much other than lose Fiala to yeah. other previous bad decisions. So they got worse, but they're still... Yeah, they extended uh, Flurry, by the way. Two years at three and a half. Oh, yeah, yes. But... Yes, I'm sorry. Yeah, I forgot okay. about that. He was already there. He's there again. Um, yeah, I think that they got a little bit worse. Minnesota is just condemned to always get stopped one step short of the contending tier. It feels like there's always something that holds them back. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, they might even be the second best team in the Central behind... Uh, I, I would favor that. I think they're better than St. Yeah, Louis. Yeah, so it's, it's them or St. Louis and then beh- who are both behind Colorado. And, and you know, that that's fine. They're not, I think, on a par with Colorado. They're still very good defensively. Uh, but, yeah, like, this is, uh, again, they're in that same second-tier bracket we were talking about, I think. Mm-hmm. So, I, I, yeah, is there anything else to really say about the Wild? I mean, it is cool that they finally have a player... A player who's like worth yeah. watching, uh, Kirill Kaprizov. In, in Kirill Kaprizov, and what I mean by that is like someone who's like kind of appointment watching. You know, the Wild have like basically never had that, so that, that's that's really awesome. Apparently, he is back in the U.S. There was some weird stuff going on with him potentially being stuck in Russia. That was really unclear, and I didn't follow it enough mm-hmm. to opine on it. But like, hopefully, he is in the U.S. and safe yeah. 
and yeah, it's a scary situation. Yeah, for sure. Uh, just probably something to note. We always talk about the Wild as being a very good puck control team. Um, you know, getting the the bulk of the shots, often very very strong defensively. Um, last year they actually finished at a really high rate. Caprice on yes, and actually, you know, yeah, they they've they've been sort of good at finishing for the last couple yeah. years. Kaprizov has an influence on that, or so does like Ryan Hartman, who had who had some hot um, shooting years. So they're still a good puck control team, but the shooting kind of really helps. Yeah, like if, if you can combine that level of shooting to give you offense and they're already good defense, yeah, you, you can be in a pretty good position. Like, I could talk myself into this team. I just, I don't think that they're quite in the top shelf, but like them... It, it, it's also just rough because they're, they're facing a buzzsaw in Colorado. That's like, that's it, yeah. But like, if they, if a bunch of things break right for them, it wouldn't surprise me to, see, to you know, if we're having this conversation come playoff time and we're like, hey, the, the Wild look dangerous, but... Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, last and uh, in our hope, <laughs> in our hearts, least, yeah. the Montreal Canadiens. Departures. Um, Jeff Petrie, who is making three by 6.25, was traded to Pittsburgh with Ryan Paling for Michael Matheson, who is making four by 4.875 and a 2023 fourth rounder. So basically just think of this as Petrie for Matheson. Um, the Habs got a defender who was signed for more years and is younger uh, for less money. Matheson sort of struggled for a long time, and I think he his reputation has never truly recovered from Florida's terrible decision to protect him and give up like Jonathan Marshall and yeah. Riley Smith in the Vegas expansion draft. But he's put two years together where he's been pretty positive by GSVA, pretty positive by RAPM, less so by isolated threat. Uh, I don't know how much I buy it. Yeah. Like this, this surprised me because I thought, oh, Matheson, that kind of sucks. But he, he's he's been okay. Um, actually, pretty good last year. So that that's worth noting, to at least to some degree. Petrie, I think, is better than Matheson, um, and certainly was better at his peak, but he is significantly older. So I actually kind of like this deal for the Habs, because for the longest time, the Habs have been this team on two timelines, mm-hmm. right? Where they had this Weber, um, Price, Petrie, core, Gallagher is like eight, you know, not super old, but he, he's up there. And then they had a bunch of young guys, mm-hmm. right? Like Suzuki, like Caulfield. Yeah. I shouldn't say that for, for so many years, if it's been a 10 years, it's been like yeah. two years where this has been the case. Um, and it was also sort of weird, like, okay, how are they going to marry these two? And I feel like they've kind of committed in part because last season was so putrid. Like, okay, cool. We are now just going to the later time. Yeah. And, and so right. be it. Right. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't love this to be honest. Like, I, I think it's, I think it's fine from Montreal's perspective, I should say. And I don't know what the market was for Jeff Petrie at this point. Like, you know, mm-hmm. at his age, I, I I'm not convinced Matheson is a great asset. I guess is where I'm coming down on this, and so it feels to me like they walked away, unloading Paling for a fourth, and then doing whatever this was. But you know, they got younger. I, I, I guess I I sort of would intuitively agree that yeah. Matheson like isn't a positive asset, but I guess the the last couple years of him being decent is is maybe worth yeah something. That's true. Maybe I'm just too right. skeptical and... of like good defensive results on Pittsburgh, right? Like, because like yeah, yeah no that, that that's fine I don't I don't have yeah. I have big error bars on my on my estimation of math same, same like I'm not a hundred percent sure um but like this seems like roughly okay to me from the Habs perspective yeah it's fine um so we talked earlier about the Habs selling or sorry about um the Blackhawks selling low on Kirby Doc to the Habs and the Habs basically did the same thing in reverse. Mm-hmm. 
in giving up Alexander Romanov. Yeah. So this was like, essentially ended up being a three-team trade. Mm -hmm. But Alexander Romanov went, so his signing rights went to the New York Islanders, along with number 98 overall, in return for 13 overall. And 13 overall was what was flipped with 66 for Kirby Dock signing Mm -hmm. rights. So from the Habs' perspective, they have swapped essentially Romanov for Doc Modulo some picks. Yeah. Um, you know Romanov, I, I'm kind of surprised they gave up that quickly. The yes, yeah. this is. I, I I I guess yeah it's. I I didn't quite understand this as a solo. Or is it so, so early? Because I think Romanov is pretty decent. I think so. And it, it gets tough because I have to say, the Montreal Canadiens' capacity to build up and then turn on prospects, and I should say like the Montreal media and fan base, I think is remarkable. It seems to happen a lot. And so Romanov was treated as this, you know, upcoming god defenseman in some quarters. I'm thinking of Grant McCagg. Who am I kidding? But... yeah. I think that that overrating might have detracted from the fact that he seemed like a decent player. And as we said in the Chicago segment, the fact that Chicago knows the most about Kirby Doc and is giving up on him at 21, for you to be right about this, they have to be wrong. That's not impossible, but they should know more about this. Um, and then again, though, the same logic applies to Romanov. Maybe the Habs looked at him and said, this is as good as it gets for him, give or take. Yeah, no, that, it's it's very possible. I, and like I, I guess in effect, Montreal gave up a bit more draft equity, right? Because they gave up sixty six and ninety eight effectively to swap from Romanov to Doc, mm-hmm. right? So th- they are viewing Doc as like better than Romanov as an asset. Yeah, but like on the order of sixty six plus ninety eight. Yeah, like significantly so. And Montreal, I think, is asking itself questions about its center depth, which has been a, a mm-hmm. recurrent issue. They have Nick Suzuki who they're going to trust to be kind of their one, two of the future. And then it's like, who comes before him? I don't think it's Christian Dvorak, even though he's the placeholder right now. And they gave up on yeah. Ryan Paling in the Petri deal. Um, so they, ha- and they didn't draft um, Shane Wright. Yes. Or Logan yeah, Cooley. Who were both centers. They ended up taking Juraj Slavkovsky, who is a very interesting winger first overall, but they clearly were like, okay, we need to start making moves to keep growing at the center position and hopefully have someone to slot in behind Suzuki. Yeah, and I think if you asked the Habs last year, they probably would have been like, I don't know, 80% confident that Nick Suzuki's their 1C of the yeah. future, right? Suzuki had a bad year. He was better under Martin St. Louis, just like all the Habs were. Um, and his contract looks bad right now, but I think a lot of people, justifiably, would say, okay, it looks bad, but like last year was just sort of a bizarre year. It matters, but I'm not over-centralizing on last year. And like my prior of that contract being pretty good for Nick Suzuki is still pretty strong, and I, I think it'll still be a good contract. Yeah. But it probably does say something about... Like, it probably does like, reduce you know, the absolute right-tail outcomes a little bit in terms of probability. Yeah, like you don't feel entirely easy in your mind about having done this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, you know, everyone looked better on, under Martin St. Louis, but I think everything that could go wrong, did go wrong for the Habs in the first half of last year. And Martin St. Louis kind of gave them an injection of life. But I don't think that should detract from the back. This is still, like, it doesn't look like a good team. No, not at all. Um, and, and they have, maybe, like, they might have to 
make some decisions about Josh Anderson, who they were rumored to be shopping, or even Brendan Gallagher. That's a... Anderson's deal is bad. Anderson, yeah. Anderson is like, okay, he's so good as like a rush player who's strong and who's like a runaway freight train and finishes. That's all he does. That's it. That's the whole Josh Anderson experience. And so I don't want to pay five and a half million a year for that. Um, putting aside that if he dis- he experiences any decline in that skill set because of injury or whatever, suddenly it gets really stupid. Yep. Um, other acquisitions, uh, they signed Rem Pitlick for two years, 1.1 million. Just wanted to say Rem Pitlick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he, he can shoot, can't do anything else. Oh. Um, Matheson covered above, Evgeny Dodonov, one year, five mil, traded for the corpse of Shea Weber. The... So Web- Weber is LTIR to Vegas forever now. Yeah. Um, Dodonov is still clearly good. Uh, he, like, he's still a useful player. I, I can see the Habs setting him off at the deadline. Yeah, oh, for sure. Dodonov is weird because it's like, okay... He's imperfect and all that, but why does this guy have zero? Yeah, value? like I, I guess like the contract is too much. I get that, but it, and it was weird of Ottawa to sign it when they did. But like, I don't know. It, like, I guess this is what the salary cap does. But I'm surprised that he became like a null asset. I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so yeah, I think that they can flip him at the trade deadline as they probably yes. will. They probably yeah. should. Um. So where does that leave the Habs? They had, like, as you said, like, a Murphy's Law season last year, and I don't think they're actually that bad. But like, there's still a big distance between where they are and being a legit playoff mm-hmm. team. So I think basically they should just assess their young guys for the next year or so. Assess Slavkovsky. Uh, assess Caulfield. Yeah. See which of these guys is really going to be an important part of their team and, and go from there. It, they don't really have much cap space. Um right now it's still sort of tbd if price is gonna play yes he's apparently gonna try is is the word mm-hmm. so uh, power to him that obviously has a big impact on their uh, their overall situation and their decision making um mm-hmm. he has a no move and he has four years left at 10.5 so it's kind of it's not clear what's really going to become yeah. of that but but okay yeah i mean the thing i the takeaway for the habs is okay they won't be as bad as they were under ducharme Side note, wow, was Ducharme just like the worst coast in history or what? What happened there? But uh, we, we, we lost him in a playoff series. I'll never really recover from that. That's the, that's the yeah. one that's going to haunt me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Anyway, um, but at the same time, it's like Detroit and Ottawa made aggressive moves to get better. Montreal didn't. Um, and Boston is the only real candidate to get a lot worse if Bergeron doesn't come back. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think the, the Habs are still going to miss the playoffs, and this is another rebuilding year where they, they just hope everyone gets back on track under the inspirational leadership of Martin St. Louis, and then maybe they try and do something in a couple years. Yeah, I would agree with that. Okay, that was the first half of the NHL. <laughs> we just blew through in our a... record for a podcast length. That was, this is literally a Lord yeah. of the Rings movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it actually, it actually is. Holy shit. Um. If you stuck with us this long, thank you for, for doing that. It, I, we actually do find this podcast yeah. pretty fun to, to do. I feel like it's, it's an interesting one to talk about. It, it, it beats talking about, like, oh, man, who's gonna who's the second line left winger? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which, which is like, yeah, if we do 30 podcasts a year, 24 yeah. of them are who is the we, second we line left winger. We will have plenty of time to discuss that, so, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, this, this is fun. We'll, we'll, we'll be back in a couple weeks with the rest of the, of the league. And we'll, we'll go from there. So you can catch all of mine and Foodman's work at PenchmanPuppets.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at RVNATFoodman. 
Thanks for listening. We'll see you soon.